I mean, what's that football focus doing? Last week they had Brady. This week they got Brady. We're doing it. We're literally doing it differently from everybody else. As a matter of fact, moving forward from this point on, I will not make reference to PFL. Ready to get into it? Yeah, yeah. All right. We're going team by team. I would be very careful about slings. Am I going to get sued? We got legal on this? Let's send you out on the right note. Uh, PFF sucks. Have a great day, everybody. <laughs> wow. Welcome into the PFF NFL podcast, Steve Palazzolo, Sam Monson. We are on YouTube at some time in the future because we're talking about the Souths today. We're going to fix every team in the AFC and the NFC South, Sam. Got it. Let's go. Radical candor. We always tell you when we're pre-recorded. And now is that time. Now is that time. So here we are. So we might not be able to interact directly with the chat, but we do encourage you to talk amongst yourselves. So we are uh, We're going to go through the AFC and the NFC South. Uh, to this point, we've done... At least half the league. I don't know when this is going to air. I don't know if it's Monday. I don't know if it's Wednesday. We'll see. But we've made it through at least half the league, fixing every team in five minutes. And for all of those who step in and say, guys, that took way more than five minutes, we know. But we're trying to do it as quickly as possible. We know we'll give you about 20 minutes a team. And only got into a small amount of trouble for it. You know, just one group of irate Browns fans. So far. Yeah. Yeah. So far, the Browns fans were upset. Uh-huh. They, they had you come onto the radio to. They did. They wow. wanted to ask about you and your David and Joku slander. I had to point out that that was 10 seconds taken out of context. And they said, well, what about you saying Deshaun Watson was bad? I'm like, oh, that's true. He's been asked. Yeah. So that part was legit. That's an interesting one. We're not going to get into this too much. But Browns fans are merely citing they're 5-1 and one with Deshaun Watson. But, like, well, they want to play. The yeah. offense was better with Flacco. I mean, I, I thought that was clear as day. I thought, I thought we were all on board that Deshaun Watson's been disappointing to this point. I, yeah. There's a lot of, I think, irrationality taking place there. Like, I had a guy, somebody, I, somebody tweeted back at me with something I'd said about them. And because I'd said, like, Flacco was better than Deshaun Watson, and that's a problem, right? If you're paying a guy 230 million guaranteed, you don't want 38 year old Joe Flacco coming off the couch to outshine him and the guy replied saying with a bunch of numbers or data points basically saying ah they were were the same i'm like okay but even if we just even if we stipulate it's the same that's a problem like and then somebody else was replying saying flacco was better than like justin herbert and joe burrow and and patrick mahomes i'm I'm like okay listen you're in the wrong conversations right like if we can't if we can't agree that justin herbert was better than joe flacco last year then we can't talk like, I can't have a conversation with you because it's not based in reality. It's like talking to flat earthers. It's like it's a waste of I, everybody's time because you do not have, like, the agreed upon physical world that we all live in, you know? Like, I, you and I both know that if I drop this mug right now, it smashes on the floor, right? Drops out of the sky, smashes on the floor, and we know it's because of gravity. If you're sitting there and somebody doesn't believe in gravity, we can't talk. Like, we're all wasting our time here because... The, the, the rules are different. That's Deshaun what these Watson are. being subpar is gravity. No, somebody saying Joe Flacco is better than Flacco like better than Herbert's gravity. Herbert and, and Mahomes. That's gravity. If we can't agree that that's like a basis <laughs> of reality, this is a waste of everybody's time. All right, let's find better people to talk to. Cool. All right, so today we're talking to the South, and we got our, our viewers and our listeners. Those are the people we want to talk to. Are you ready to get going? Yeah. All right, let's start in the AFC South with. Uh, our friend Bobby Slowick and the Houston Texans. It's really D'Amico Ryan's team, but uh, we're starting with the Houston Texans coming off of 
an awesome season, man. They found their quarterback last year in C.J. Stroud. They made the big trade up for Will Anderson. He looked great as a rookie, as expected. And uh, we head into uh, the, you know, the next steps here. Um, I don't think I'm speaking out of turn when I, I, I ran into uh, Nick Casario on the sideline at the Senior Bowl. Mm. Said, hey, you know, good season, blah, 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 whatever. And he said something to the effect of, hey, now it gets difficult. You know, I don't think I'm, I don't think I'm giving away any trade secrets or it's anything like that. It's a very like blurry line, this whole on the record, off the record thing. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, now if he listens to the show, he might be mad. Yeah. But all he said, you know, he just said, hey, and now, now the work really begins, right? Because now you're the defending AFC South champion. How hard could it be? And they're all gunning for you in the AFC South. And there's, uh, there's a little bit of turnover. You've got free agents like Dalton Schultz at tight end, Jonathan Grenard, who's one of the better edge defenders to hit free agency that we keep you know, giving to other teams. Um, so you've got, you've got so Steven Nelson at corner. So what are your thoughts on the Texans and, and where we are right now? Well, I think they showed how quickly you can propel yourself forward from being terrible to being pretty good if you just get a couple of things QB. right. right? Find you QB. find a QB and you find coaches and then you're in business. Um, obviously, D'Amico Ryan's is staying there long term, but they gave Bobby Sloak a raise. So Bobby's staying around, yeah. right? Funny how that works. You dramatically <clears throat> exceed expectations, you get more money. Uh, so Bobby's staying in the building. The D'Amico Ryan's is staying there. And CJ Stroud is outstanding based off his rookie year so that's the core like that's the thing you want in the building and they've still got it we've radically exceeded <laughs> expectations sam by certain measures yeah yeah we've done we've gone above and beyond we've done everything we've been asked to do uh -huh. just just throwing that out there mm. i mean i think look if we if we rewind it a little bit with houston and when we again we, when we say fixing every team we like to talk about how we got here and just give some options and just talk about the team. we're not literally going to fix every last hole on the team in our you know 20 minute conversation but go back to like the early Nick Casario takeover and they didn't know what they were going to do with Deshaun Watson yet and we said they're not making a lot of long-term moves right but I do think that they were making those culture plays right they were getting guys 30 through 50 on the roster there was there was a lot of additions there and trying to get the culture in order and then they didn't start making aggressive moves until they had some draft capital and going to get – they got Derek Stingley in the first round and Jalen Petrie and uh, Kendrick Green. But also, like, one of the biggest moves that they made was the trade-up to go get Nico Collins a couple of years ago. And, and I think we're starting to get, I think, some justification for this front office and some of their player evals. I think it was a slow going, but I think like Nico Collins breaking out and becoming a number one type wide receiver, I mean – I know there's some Nico Collins fans out there, but I don't know if anybody was expecting that type of production from him. You add Tank Dell and what he was able to do as a mid-round draft pick. I mean, there, there are a lot of uh, hits, so to speak, now looking back over the last couple of years for the Texans and, and Nick Casario. Yeah, and you have to wonder, you know, how much of that is just nailing the, the C.J. Stroud thing. Like, how much does C.J. Stroud on his own transform Nico Collins and Tank Dell? What happens to them if, if you replace Stroud with just somebody random? Um, Collins, to be fair, was already heading in that direction, albeit this was a massive jump forward. But he was at least improving. He was on a lot of, like, breakout player-type watch lists, you know, before last season. So I don't think you can say it's all him. And obviously, a lot of people love Tank Dell coming into the draft. But they've nailed a lot of these really important decisions. And interestingly, they've done it in, a, in an unusual way. They haven't necessarily – like, you see certain teams, you can see very clearly – like there's an athletic trait, you know, uh, list that they're sticking to, or there's a certain, they have a type, right? Texans don't appear to have a type. I mean, that's one thing that's 
I think fair the, the consistency of their decision making is that they have no consistency. It's just they like players and they grab these players and the strike rate on them has been pretty good so far. Yeah, they have done a nice job there. So as far as uh, things that need to be looked at this offseason, I mentioned Jonathan Grenard. Let's start on the let's start okay, let's start on the offense actually. Dalton Schultz, they just signed him to a one year deal last year, got good tight end production out of him, and probably have to figure out what they want to do at that position going forward. Uh, Noah Brown is a free agent. He was a nice number three for a whole bunch. Like they, It was like a stretch in the middle of the season where he looked like former five-star Noah Brown. I don't think it's a massive loss. I think with Tank Dell coming back from injury, Xavier Hutchinson as a rookie last year, John Mechie, they probably have enough depth there, but adding another weapon I think is always good. And then the offensive line, George Fant uh, hits free agency and – there, it's still a line that on paper doesn't look great, but they they did well. I mean, it's a lot like the Niners, where the on paper list and the and the turnover, at least that Houston had, wasn't great, but they made it work. And and maybe it's the scheme certainly helping them. Well, step one in the offseason is always like who of your own free agents, your own guys that are scheduled to hit free agency, which ones are you bringing back? Um, the Texans have a lot of cap space, so they're in the fortuitous position I guess where they they could bring back all of the ones they wanted to bring back if they want to do it question is like which ones do they want to bring back like if you were looking at their list Grenard yeah you would say they probably want to bring back Grenard uh Blake Cashman linebacker had an incredible season breakout year this year probably Steven Nelson um Dalton Schultz maybe Devin Singletary in the backfield given how he played maybe uh Noah Brown, as you said, though, you know, I think they could sort of replace him from lower on the depth chart. But those are quite useful players, all of whom I think were pretty important for them this season. And they could easily bring them all back if they wanted to. Like Steve, they have that kind of money. Steven Nelson always feels like one of these very underrated players who is just solid across the board, dependable, plays his, plays his thousand snaps, and is a good corner. He's not a shutdown corner. He's a good complementary corner. But using PFF War... Steven Nelson's been a top 32 corner in four out of the last five years, including 19th last year in war, in part because he's out there and durable. And, um, you know, if you, if you could bring him back again in that, you know, six, seven, eight million dollar range, I feel like that is worth it, especially pairing him with Derek Stingley, who had a really nice breakout last year, um, the former number three overall pick in his second season. Um, their defense started to play a lot better. And I do. I do wonder if, the, if, if they have to go keep Jonathan Grenard there and continue to invest in the defensive line. The whole tree of former 49ers defensive coaches from Robert Sala to D'Amico Ryans. I, I, I mean, I think part of it's tactically, like they like to have six to eight legitimate defensive linemen. Who doesn't? Um, but I do wonder if this is a year to attack that position or yeah. the, the entire unit. I mean, even if they bring back Grenard, I think they could – absolutely still bolster it in free agency and go after some of those guys that we talked about that might might only be one year you know 10 million type players but could absolutely add 45 50 pressures to your team over the course of the season um and certainly if they lose Grenard, then i would imagine they attack free agency fairly hard and, and try and uh upgrade given what they lost like they would be a team in the bryce huff conversation of this is a guy that can be an elite pass rusher and maybe can play more than he was playing with the Jets. Would you double up there? You're saying potentially Grenard and and Huff? Yeah, I mean I, and, I don't and think, Will Anderson. I don't think that would be crazy. Um I 
even if they lost Grenard, I think going after Bryce Huff would make a lot of sense. If even if they bring Grenard back, I wouldn't hate Bryce Huff, but maybe if they brought him back, they would be looking a little bit um, lower down the price range and instead going after, you know, I don't know, who would they potentially target? Like somebody like like Daryl Taylor or, you know, someone like that. Taylor's a pretty good one-trick type of guy. Just get after the quarterback and, you know, you can make some plays there. He's struggled against the run. I would like to see Daryl Taylor, former Seahawk, as just a pass rush specialist, as right. a, as an edge three rather than a starter, so that could be a nice fit. Yeah, if, if Grenard's back, I'd also be really curious what Andrew Van Ginkle's free agent market looks like. I mean, he's a guy that's been like a sort of solid player for years, and then randomly became one of the best pass rushes in the NFL this season. Does he get pigeonholed in like a I don't want to say a three four outside backer role, but like a stand up role? Teams that are more likely to use a stand up guy or guy yeah. that's going to drop into coverage a little bit. I don't know if that limits his. His market just a little bit, but, but Van Ginkle's been very, very good. Yeah, and I, for for a guy that you sort of anticipate being something of a situational rusher, I think that's less important. Like, yeah, just go line up in the designated gap and rush. Doesn't matter. I don't care whether you're doing it from a two or a three point stance. Uh, the other thing I wanted to highlight: right tackle as an uh, uh, with as an opening. Do they bring back George Fant? He's another one of those guys whose career started slow, but he has he's crept back toward average. I think as a as a tackle, but they, there's still a potential upgrade there. Is Jonah Williams a potential good fit there to bring him in? I wonder if Jonah's going to try to get back to the left side after playing on the right side last year in Cincinnati um, in his last his last year there. Um, Titus Howard's still on the roster in there, but I, I do think they need some depth up front on the O-line. That takes me to the draft. They're picking eight times, and their first pick is at 23. That's Cleveland's pick. Remember, so the Texans don't have their first-round pick. Um, this was the reason why everything we brought up about the Will Anderson trade. I know they have this extra pick, but they would have also had pick 27. That's why when you're doing the math, so to speak, on the Will Anderson trade, it was the pick that they had at 12 last year, that pick at the beginning of the second round, plus this pick, which ends up being number 27. And you're weighing kind of those three players against Will Anderson. But the Texans still have pick 23. They still have three picks in the top 85. The fact that they have that Browns pick actually is probably a very under discussed element of everything they did last year of why they did it yeah, yeah. like how much does that way hey at, like no matter what we're still going to have a first round draft pick like whether this whether the one we're giving away ends up being number two overall or number 30 overall we're still going to have a first round pick right either way it, you know i that's probably a big element or at least in the equation of why they decided to make that move um, I'm sure it was. I mean, that's why when teams, and I'm not sure it's the right line of thinking or not, right. but teams do that all the time. Like when they get a comp pick. Cena's has money. Yes. When they get a comp pick, they're like, oh, we never, we shouldn't have had this. That's right. a comp pick. This is extra. We'll trade it. You know, it's, it's, a, it's a free pick, but it's like you also could use it or yeah. whatever. You know, it's, it's not free. You've earned it by giving something up. That's why it's comp Maybe pick. I'm just projecting. Maybe everyone else has been bringing this up every time, <laughs> every time it's come up, but I certainly haven't really talked about it here. Uh, and yet it is probably a really important element of why they made that decision. So I would say no matter what happens with, say, Steven Nelson in the second cornerback spot, another team that I think the the cornerback depth or the first-round talent at corner could benefit them the right at pick 23. Well. It's, what? it's the right area, pick it 23 is. for a corner, I think, for a corner run for to, to get a guy like that. They could also be in the, in the O-line market in that first round. Do you yeah. want to draft your future right tackle? Well, they're... They're one of these Shanahan teams, right, that, that 
always seems to have a boost in the offensive line, but at some point you have to then evaluate, well, how how much do we want to invest in the offensive line with given this, right? Given this Bobby Slowick version of the Shanahan offense seems to have an effect on the offensive line the way Kyle Shanahan's does, the way a lot of these other um, versions do, does that mean we completely ignore it or do we still actually want to improve the baseline personnel on that group? I mean, they did spend pick 14 a couple years ago on Kendrick Green at guard. So I think they are willing to And they've got Laramie Tunsil. Like, it's not like there's no investment or anything in there. But I'm just saying, you know, you, you could look at that group from a year ago and say, it's fine. You know, yeah. base, we'll just we'll do the usual maintenance, take over, you know, turnover of bodies. But we don't need to invest heavily in the offensive line because we have this Shanahan system. Well, either way, I like I like the way Houston's trending, of course, as you said before. It all starts with C.J. Stroud getting Bobby locked up. So you've got that synergy there. Uh, you Very promising year for Nico Collins plus Tank Dell. Would love to see some added depth at receiver. Um, how about tight end options? I don't know if we want to discuss that a little bit. If they do go to the draft, it's, it's, it's Brock Bowers and friends. A lot of people do like uh, Jatavian Sanders from Texas mm. as um, I've seen him mocked in the late first before. Um, the caveat, of course, there will literally be at least 100 players. If you look, there will be at least 100 players who have their name in a first-round mock draft. But Sanders could be a good second-round type of option, very good after the catch, and he could be a nice addition to this offense. I mean, I, let's just litter it with playmakers, man. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, they, they, they did the hard part. They got the quarterback right apparently um and coaching right so now let's let's try and make it as good as you can get it all right houston texans are they fixed yeah i mean i think the biggest part that they need to do is just bring back all the guys they have that they want to keep you know they've got a lot of good players hitting free agency they've got a lot of not good players hitting free agency so bring back the ones that are good you've got the money to spend you know the guys we, we listed out grenard cashman maybe steven nelson maybe you know pick pick a few um Supp- uh, supplement that with veterans and free agency without going crazy. I don't think they need to be shopping at the top of the market and then have a good draft. I mean, they've got picks. They've got what? The first rounder, second, third, two fourths, and then a bunch of seventh rounders. And, and that's it. It's one of, the sim- one of the easier ones, I think. Simpler fixes. Texans, fixed. If you have a family like I do, then you need to get term life insurance, Paul. Uh, term life insurance to protect them, Sam. It's one of the smartest financial decisions you can make, and the start of the new year is the perfect time to get it done so you can focus on whatever else the year has in store for you. Fabric was designed by parents for parents to help you get a high-quality, surprisingly affordable term life insurance policy in less than 10 minutes. Fabric has flexible policies that fit your family and your budget, like a million dollars in coverage for less than a dollar a day. Get your personalized quote in just minutes and then apply when it's convenient for you. It's all online and on your schedule. You can go from start to covered in less than 10 minutes with no health exam required. So join the thousands of parents who trust Fabric to protect their family. Apply today in just minutes at meetfabric.com slash PFFNFL. That's meetfabric.com slash PFFNFL. M-E-E-T fabric.com slash PFFNFL. Policies issued by Western Southern Life Insurance Company, not available in certain states. Price is subject to underwriting and health questions. I mentioned to you before I heard another podcast that had Fabric as a read and a sponsor. Mm. It's a little jarring hearing someone else read similar copy but with like completely different tone and inflection points. Did they do it better than you? No, I think mine is Yours way is better. better. Mine's better and more energetic Got than it. the guy I listened to. Well, that was like when, um, who's the DraftKings girl that did Winner, Winner, Chicken Dinner? Jesse Cofield. Jesse, like she, her and I were doing the same reads for a while. Right. And when I heard hers on the commercial, like it was completely different. Like, she was on TV. Like she, she was, was on giving TV. it the full Burmeister. You were just, yeah. 
you know, you just that was your fascination project for a while. Like, does she really work for DraftKings and just do the commercials? Yeah, I was just curious. Hey, who do you, who chooses? You know, like if somebody if they roll in here tomorrow and say, "Great news, guys, we're going on DraftKings. We're going on TV. We've got we a thirty second commercial spot in the middle of Monday Night Football." It's whoever raises their hand That's first. That's what I'm saying. Like, who's yeah. going on? Right? Is it you? Because because you're nose goes because you're the front of the uh, of the organization, or is it like does does Austin go in there, right? Or Gordon, you know, or George? Who knows? You just never know. Never know. I have an idea who would nominate himself. <laughs> you, right? Me. Yeah. Uh, Indianapolis Colts are next up, fixing the AFC South. Um, you know, coming off of a, a playoff season without Anthony Richardson, without their starting quarterback, without their quarterback. Uh, playoff-ish. They were playing for the playoffs. Sorry, they had a, the game against the Texans was a play-in Winning game in. for the playoffs. Yeah. Right. They, so they just missed the playoffs. I apologize. In. Sorry, I misspoke. They're not a playoff team. It's already been cut. And it's been clipped. It's like, look at this idiot. Doesn't even know who made the playoffs. I tuned in to the PFF NFL podcast and saw this stupidity. Some NFL expert doesn't even know the Colts didn't make the playoffs. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, this offseason, um, not a ton of uh, massive turnover in Indy. Uh, Michael Pittman Jr., the biggest name, obviously, hitting free agency. We are expecting a franchise tag. We are worried about maybe recording this on a Friday um, if the tag – if something's been implemented already by the time nah, this recording, I mean, they're keeping him. Like whether it's the tag, whether they get a deal worked out, Pittman, and certainly for our purposes as you know de facto GMs here, Michael Pittman Jr. is not hitting the open market. Yes, because we need him and more. We Correct. need him plus. Um, so big off season for Indy. They've they've got the rookie contract quarterback. They've got some of the most cap space in the NFL. So they've got that flexibility. Feels like they've been in that position for a while. Is this the year? They pounce and start to uh, to spend that money and build around Anthony Richardson. I mean, yeah, they they they're bought into Anthony Richardson. We didn't see much of him because of injury, but I think what we did see was encouraging. I think they're bought in, like so. And last year, I think showed that the team, you know, it's it's reasonably good. They can they can go ham now and deploy resources resources around him. Um, I always like to start with we'll start with the offense, the O line, and the. Uh, playmakers, right? Mm-hmm. We mentioned Pittman. Okay, let's say we bring him back. I always describe Pittman as a high-end possession-type receiver. I mean, he's been averaging 10 to 12 yards per catch, moves the chains. He'll get five or six first downs a game, and, and that's huge, right? Alec Pierce has basically just been, every now and again, he shows up as a deep threat. And then Josh Downs was very promising as a rookie working out of the slot. It does seem like the Colts want uh, more consistency from the Alec Pierce spot. And a legitimate, it doesn't even have to be a number two, but I want a deep threat. I want a guy that is stretching the field, creating big plays, a nice compliment to Michael Pittman Jr. Um, We've mentioned a bunch in the draft. There are those types, right? The Brian Thomas Juniors and the Xavier Worthies. There are speed-type receivers. Ricky Pearsall, if you want to get him back with Anthony Richardson, former Gators teammates. But uh, speed on the outside feels like a priority here for the Colts. Yeah, so... One problem with we, we do all these um, uh, we do it at this particular time of year so that we can beat free agency and you know all the stuff uh, so that the moves haven't happened yet by the time we're talking about how to fix them. Problem with that is the Colts we can, we can't identify the Colts draft board yet because we don't have athletic measurables and the Colts are <laughs> simply true. going to take that is the true. best athletes from the combine that is upcoming next week and we don't know who that is yet. That is absolutely which true. is unfortunate. Yes. They are probably the most athletic testing-driven team in the NFL right now. Like, they haven't taken a bad athlete basically ever in the last 
X number of years. Last year, a guy like Juju Brents broke the combine from a cornerback standpoint. They drafted him in the second. Eight out of Boire had one of the better workouts you'll ever see from is an edge defensive line, uh, defensive interior hybrid. All the dudes who ran really well. Obviously, Anthony Richardson. I don't think that was the reason that they got him. There was other reasons, of course. But probably helped though. I, I mean, it, I'm sure it didn't hurt. Um, so yeah, I mean, look, I th- they're picking at 15. What do they have? Eight picks? Seven? They got they're the just base allotment of picks. Seven, three in the top 82. Um, pick 15. I've seen Brock Bowers mocked to them right in the middle of that first round there. But I think there's there's potential receiver talent there. The other spot, I'm talking about the defense now, the outside cornerback situation mm-hmm. in Indy, it, it looked it looked bad before the season. I don't think it was as bad as the on-paper breakdown. Remember before the season they had something like 200 snaps of experience across four corners on the outside. By the end of the season, rookies Juju Brents and Jalen Jones were both out, both out there, and they might be fine, right? Like Ju- Brents especially, as I mentioned, crazy athletic, was expected to be kind of a late bloomer. Think of like Tariq Woolen with Seattle. So maybe they're fine there. Daryl Baker Jr., Dallas Flowers, maybe they're okay. But it still feels like somewhere where they can invest once again. Sure, yeah. Um, would you, when you say invest, you mean veteran free agents on the basis of the guys they have are currently very young and there's probably not much sense adding more young to it? Yeah, I mean, I keep trying to pair first-round corners with teams. I don't. It's probably not in the first round. I, mean, I think, I, I think they, there's a pass catcher there. Like if Bowers falls or the or the way the receiver board falls, I think in the first round that could be a great spot. They are being mocked a lot with corners, so it wouldn't be crazy. Like you wouldn't be out on an island if you put a first-round corner with them. I'm, if I was running the Colts, I would probably do that because I don't, I don't know how much I trust the guys that they invested in, but I, I, think, I'm, I think they like those guys. I mean, they went into the season last year with those four, and it wasn't – Great, but it also wasn't a disaster, I guess. Sure. Um, or as disastrous as it could have been. So um, I'm going to say that they're not going to draft a corner in the first because of the youth that they have, but would like a veteran presence in that room for sure. I'm simply uh, currently looking up, <laughs> I'm looking up like athletic measurables of current free agents to figure out who would even be on the list. Stop. Dory Jackson. Dory Jackson. Dory Jackson would be a very good. Has some pretty impressive yes. athletic measurables. He would be in the top percentile group of the the players they're looking for. So I think Dory Jackson would be an option. Sean Murphy Bunting, I think, also has an exceptionally high athletic profile. So he's also on the list. Let's see. Do I have my? I've got a model sheet out here, but I can't. I can't dig through it this quickly. Hmm. Quickly enough. Um, what about what? Do you, what are your thoughts at receiver? For them, I think there's the there's the quote unquote big three of Marvin Harrison Jr., Roma Dunze, and uh, Malik Neighbors. Yeah. Beyond that, are they? You know, a lot of people like uh, Brian Thomas Jr. Again, it depends on testing. Right. Are they destined for one of these guys? Uh, Brian Thomas Jr., Lad McConkey, Xavier Worthy. Um, I think I, I don't know what Ricky Pearsall is going to test. I know that his game speed was very fast, looked fast, played fast, numbers showed fast. Do they want an all-around guy like A.D. Mitchell? They're destined for one of those guys, right? Yeah, I could I could see Brian Thomas Jr. in particular testing very well. Um, yeah. And that, I mean, he plays fast, like with deep, deep speed. Yeah. Um, he's a guy I need to go back to because I didn't love his tape first time around, but I'm definitely an outlier on that, and I need to make sure that I'm at least comfortable being an outlier if I not didn't, changing my mind entirely. You didn't like him on first watch. I didn't like Keon Coleman at all. Yeah, I so Coleman him. is weird. I I'm Coleman's just a difficult one. I 
I am fully comfortable with the idea that I like him even though I shouldn't. Like, every, he's one of those players where every note I was writing down was bad, and yet somehow I still came away being like, I still kind of want him on my team. Like, I don't, it's not yeah. logical, right? It's, I'm, I'm okay with that. There are some players that that happens with every now and again. You're like, most of what I'm writing down here is a negative, and yet somehow I'm still convinced that the whole can work. Uh, the, the Brian Thomas Jr. thing was different, where I just didn't really see it the first time around. But so many other people do that I need to go and just yeah. do it, like run through his tape again. And either I change my mind or I'm like, no, I am comfortable that I'm just lower on him than he, everybody else. He feels like he could be a good fit here. I just don't know if he's another Alec Pierce type because he's I, – I, I don't know. I don't know if he's great all around. But anyway, that could be a really nice fit. We're trying to get weapons for Anthony Richardson. Yeah. I'll tell you where they're in good shape, though. And let, A lot of this roster, um, like we've always said about the Eagles, when guys are in the last year of their contract looking ahead – like the offensive line is all coming back. All the starters are coming back. A couple of the guys are in the last year of their contracts. DeForest Buckner is going to head into the the final year of his contract on the defensive side of the ball. So there might be some uh, Quiddy Pay going to have a fifth year option coming up here, I believe. Right. Um, so I think more defensive line depth is always needed for every single team, especially if you're trying to think about Buckner and his future. If you don't have him locked up necessarily, um, and then. And then defensive end, like Quiddy Pay has been fine, friend of the show. Samson Ebucam had a nice season yeah. last year, um, but I think I think they'd like to uh, to upgrade that pass rush a little bit. Yeah, sure. I'm um, losing, you know, potentially a guy like Grover Stewart is huge. So you you do need somebody on the interior other than DeForest Buckner. Maybe that becomes Adabare from last year, though there weren't many signs of that as a rookie. Um, so Tavon, yeah. is that a Tavondre sweat move? Do you want the big nose tackle to replace Grover Stewart? No, I, I'm. I think you can just. You just find another interior body that you think can be a solid contributor. I don't think you necessarily need to chase a particular body type. Um, picking at, fi at 15, I, I think the Colts might be in a good position. I keep mentioning Brock Bowers as a faller because I just I think I don't know if the I don't know if the size is going to you know scare some teams off where they're going to say well picking him at eight or nine I don't want to do that. But if you're pick, picking 15 to 20, absolutely. Right. I wonder if uh, Layatu Latu from UCLA, our guy there, short arms, an injury history, if that has him available at 15. I feel like the Colts are in this spot where there'll be some good football players yeah. that we really like in particular that maybe are missing a measurable or missing something where they can get somebody really good at 15. And they could be in the they, they that could also be a spot where like the first interior defender off the board goes, right? Like someone like Byron Murphy from Texas, yeah. maybe that's the highest a guy like that goes and they're in that position as well. So, yeah, it, normally yeah, maybe like, it depends draft to draft, but I think that is an actual spot in this draft that could end up giving them a really nice variety of options to go with. All right, so we've given some options. We've talked about the positions. Is there anything with this cap space? And again, it's been like this multi-year deal, I think, where Indy's near the top of cap space, and they always maintain this flexibility. Is there a quote-unquote splash move to be made here? Are they going to throw that money around? Um, is it on the defensive line? I've mentioned Danielle Hunter for some people and Jonathan Grenard. Do they go D-line and just go you know, three-headed monster at edge? But also, maybe they're not... Uh, in on the long term with Quiddy Pay, he's been pretty good, not great as a you know first round pick. Is that where they could potentially spend that money? Because like I said, I think corner they're going to be feeling pretty good about themselves, and then receiver, I don't know that there's the right fit to throw a ton of money at 
a wide receiver too there. Yeah, maybe. Um, I mean, Legereus Need is the guy that I, that I don't generally love spending big money on free agents as a concept, but the one player that's available, I think. Sneed, I would do that. Yeah, this yeah. year is Sneed. And I think there's a few teams that it makes sense to spend that kind of money on a guy like Sneed. The other one that maybe makes sense for sort of top of the market money is Janelle Hunter. Like maybe the Colts would go after Janelle Hunter, give him twenty million dollars a year, pair him with DeForest Buckner and whatever else you have on that defensive line. It's expensive, and you know Janelle Hunter does have a not insignificant injury history, albeit has been pretty clean the last couple of years. But that would be a risk, I think, if they did it. But it wouldn't be crazy. All right, I like it. So we get the Colts. They'll will. And by the way, he's got to tick the boxes of special athlete. Because he's the poster boy for you know athletic, non-productive college. That's guy. true. That absolutely does. I wonder how much that matters with their free agents. Because at some point, the athleticism doesn't really matter. No, it always well, your matters. production matters. Always matters with them. Yeah. Um, so, well, I'm not doing it. All right. So Colts, we've got at least one big name free agent, D line or Legereus Need at corner. Um, take the best player available. Is that a nuclear bomb? It's an alarm of some kind. Let me see if I can turn this Just let me know if there's a fire. And or, if we have to vacate. I mean, not specifically. It could be anything else. Smoke. Or just let us know if there's some reason we need if to If there's vacate. any reason for right. us to leave the building. I, I don't think our could be a like viewers and listeners can hear. Could be a like we're under attack. You know, could let be. us know that too. Did you lose uh, phone service? No. Yesterday. I may have. I don't know. I was on the I internet the whole time. I didn't. I wasn't aware of losing it. I just know. getting cyber attacked all over the place here. I'm on. I forget. I'm not. I don't think I'm on the network that went down. It was multiple networks. Wasn't it just AT and It was. It was AT mostly AT and T, but it was others as well. But wasn't it like it was the AT and T network, and then everybody else that uses the AT? You know what I mean? Like the. Oh, I got you. I don't know. I think it was just that, but I might be wrong. I don't. Like Cricket Mobile or something. Right. I don't. We're good. All right. I don't care cool. enough to look into it. Doesn't matter. That's fine. Cool. We're back. Let's just reset. Reset. Okay. <laughs> Uh, so as we said, we fixed the Colts. One big name free agent on the defensive side of the ball. We're bringing Michael Pittman Jr. back. I think we're in a good spot to pick the best player available in the first round, who also happens to be the most athletic. Like if Bowers tests really well, boom, got him. Um, and then, uh, yeah, just building around Anthony Richardson. Got the old line intact. I don't know if they're going to be immediately out on Bowers just because he's going to be 240 pounds. Yeah, but he's gonna he's gonna run fast. And I know, but look at the, their, their other tight ends are all nine foot tall and that like is true. Eighty. That's a good compliment for the monsters. And then uh, yeah, some D line depth like every other team. There we go. Nice. Colts are fixed. Jacksonville Jaguars uh, coming off of what ended up becoming a very disappointing season. At one point, they were the number one seed in the AFC or destined to be. Yeah. More than halfway through the season, and then collapsed down the stretch did not make the playoffs and um got some things to figure out here uh biggest free agents though calvin ridley and josh allen the edge defender now ridley the thing we're trying to figure out and i don't know what's going to happen between now and record time if they sign him today they owe the falcons a second round pick they have a conditional second round pick which was based off calvin ridley being on the roster at the start of the new league year so if they re-sign him before the league year, the Falcons get a second-round pick from Jacksonville. If they do not sign him before the league year, it becomes a third-round pick, or it stays as a third-round pick for the Falcons. So I think the, the Jags are trying to work something out here if they want Ridley back 
to wait right after free agency starts officially and then make an offer and, and go from there. So they effectively are gambling the difference between a second and a third round pick versus the difference in money to by exposing him to the open market. Interesting choice of words. Gambling. Uh, it's what it is, right? That's, that's why we're in this mess. That's why we're... Calvin Ridley is gambling. Yeah. I'm just saying. This is yeah, but that's what they're... That's what they're weighing. Yeah. I'm torn on Ridley. Like, he was, the, he was the top option for the Jags last year. He was their number one. I don't think that he has shown that he is the number one carry-the-offense type. No, I mean, he's a player that I think they would like to bring back, and I think he would be good to be brought back, but it all comes down to the cost, right? And now it's, it's complicated by the fact that it's not just the cost, but you're actually disincentivized to do it because you get a better pick if you wait, and it's cheaper. So... I feel like with those two things put together, it's unlikely they re-sign him before the league year. And then I think my issue here, remember two years ago in free agency, they spent a ton of money on Christian Kirk, over $18 million APY. Right. If, and they have over $13 million invested in Evan Ingram per year at tight end. He's been a good, nice tight end for them. If, if Calvin Ridley was on the team, we would still be saying, man, it would be nice to get Trevor Lawrence one more guy. Right? Sure. The big guy, the vertical threat. A lot of the draft picks that are available here that we keep citing. But do you want to have a receiving core with Ridley making, let's say, 15 to 18, Kirk making 18, and Evan Ingram making almost 14? Again, per year, you're moving the money around, whatever. But I'm just saying, like, per season, that's the breakdown. Is that how you want your resources allocated? That's, to me, that's a harder sell. Ridley's an easier sell when you're, like, when you got a high-end guy and it's like, I'm, I'll pay him more to be a two. Right? It's a lot of investment, but I'll pay him more to be a two. So that's where I think the – and they still have Zay Jones and Parker Washington drafted last year, but I, I think they're going to want to upgrade there. Well, the biggest problem is – so Ridley is still who Ridley has always been, which is not a true number one receiver who can win in all situations, in all capacities, from all alignments against anybody. Right? Yeah. He is some version of uh, a high-end number two receiver who at least – when he's on your roster and he's your number one guy, there's something still missing, right? The biggest problem I think Jacksonville had when you start thinking about, okay, Christian Kirk plus Calvin Ridley plus, you know, whoever else they have on the team is I don't think Ridley – so you can win, I think, without a true number one. Like you don't need prime Julio Jones or Jamar right. Chase Agreed. or Justin Jefferson, but you need to be able to create that in the aggregate, like a composite – of all your different guys can create that player, even if it's not one guy. The problem is I think Christian Kirk and Calvin Ridley don't complement each other. Like Calvin Ridley just cannibalizes Christian Kirk's production. And now you've got two high-paid guys that are missing something and missing the same thing instead of one. So I think they they could absolutely have both of them on the roster and then find the missing element and be in a good place. But they could also probably just move on from from one of them, Calvin Ridley in this case, because he's hitting free agency, and just try and find a better player that would complement Christian Kirk. Yeah, I think I think just a lot of Kirk's production. You're like, hey, every time I'm like, oh, Kirk's making big plays. It's like, oh, that's good scheme too. You know, they're using him on switch releases and he's busting defenses and whatever. Um, I want a dude that's just going to go up and win at the catch point that Trevor Lawrence can trust. Trevor Lawrence is willing to make tight window throws. And I don't know that there's anybody on the roster that's going up and in winning in those situations. And I would love to see – I mean, T. Higgins would be awesome. 
right as the, as the fit there if he was uh, not franchise tagged and available if he does get tagged i don't think that the price of trading for him is i don't know if that's worth it or not for jacksonville trading for him and and paying which but, is probably going to cost you a first rounder right right it costs you a first round and then probably 25 million right. a year which in their case is pick number 17. so you're effectively saying what if you replicate the aj brown deal is effectively what's on the table, right? Like yeah. if they franchise tag T. Higgins and you call them up and you offer them the A.J. Brown deal, Cincinnati might take that. Yeah, pick 17. Yeah, pick so, 17, yeah. a third rounder as well thrown in there, and you're the team that picks up the contract that he's going to want, which is going to be A.J. Brown plus inflation. But Cincinnati might take that. If you're Jacksonville, do you do that deal? Because I don't think T. Higgins, as good as he's been, has been A.J. Brown. Like no. there's a gap. No, and that, I'll say, I mean, it, it feels like an upgrade on the receiving core if it's T. Higgins and Christian Kirk and then Zay Jones. And, it's, and I would rather give T. Higgins the money, I think, than Calvin Ridley. I think that's, that's pretty clear. But is that an upgrade enough? I, I'm right. just saying, I feel like those are the types of conversations, though, that the Jags should be having yeah, right now. Yeah, I mean, I don't think it would be crazy. Like, I think you can make an argument that it's a fair allocation of resources, but I don't think it's as obvious as the A.J. Brown deal that that's just a good piece of business. Like, when Philadelphia did that, we were saying, that's the best first-round pick that's been spent this year. Um, and that yes. was even even knowing that they had a third-rounder put in there as well, and in, it was going to cost Including them the, the price, absolutely. Yeah. It's not as clear-cut with T. Higgins and, and uh, Jacksonville. I do think that he he complements Christian Kirk very well, and that does provide some of the missing elements of receiving uh, skill set that that offense doesn't have, but it would be expensive. 17 overall, if it's the third rounder as well, that's 96. Maybe you can talk them into one of your fourths, but yeah, that would be rough. Um, other issues in Jacksonville on the offensive side of the ball, very inconsistent run game. We saw Travis Etienne uh, break a few big runs and everything, but the down-to-down -down consistency was not great. Run blocking, not great up front. Um, I think a lot of Jags fans want a new center, and they could be in the Jackson Powers-Johnson sweepstakes mm. at 17. I don't know if uh, JPJ's destined for the top 20-ish picks or not. I don't know if that's where the league is valuing him or if he really is more of like a very late first into the second round type of guy. But the Jags, with his size and his ability to move people, and what you know when, they go, when the Jags go into off-season meetings, what do we need to improve? physicality in the run game is going to be near the top of the list, and it feels like that fit um, is going to be brought up as well for the what, Jags. What was it ETN got a vote for? Was it Offensive Player of the Year? Somebody gave him a I vote I think it was for? a third-place vote for Offensive Player of the Year. Wow. Yeah. Was that like a protest vote? I mean... I don't know. I, I don't know if it's kind of like our, when, when you've complimented recently Derrick Henry for running behind a bad offensive line, yeah. if it was a compliment for ETN that you know, he had no no running lanes, but still created some big plays. It's one or, of those where you want to be, you know, a little bit hipsterish, and you just go too far. You know, like I want to be different with this. I want to make a point with this vote, I'm, but I, but, but you end up selecting something kind of crazy. I'm careful not to question the hipsterish things because people must think of that of us, sure, as PFF as a whole. Yeah. Oh, PFF's just trying to be different. Are you just doing this for the clicks? And it's like. At the end of the day, at least it's our pro we at least have a process that is play by play, right? And we come up with our evaluations maybe differently than others do. So we have at least a a reason to come across as hipsterish, <laughs> you know, just doing it to do it. I don't necessarily understand, right? Anyway, I like Etienne as a as a big play threat, um, but they need 
they just need a more consistent ground game. It felt like um, there were some of those charts out there, how much, like trying to quantify supporting cast. We did this earlier in the year, drops and EPA on drops, and Trevor Lawrence is near the top of all those things. And I'm not absolving him. I didn't think Lawrence played very well down the stretch whatsoever. He didn't take that next step that we were anticipating Trevor Lawrence to take where he's he's dragging the team with him. But basically, anything that quantifies the supporting cast, how well did they catch the ball? How well did they run after the catch? How well did they run the ball? How well did they run block? How efficient was the run game as a whole? All of those things were near the bottom of the league for the Jags. So um, as much as I love to talk about the high-end receiver, and I do think that solves some problems, they got to do a better job up front. They got to be more efficient running the ball, and all of the pass catchers need to do a better job generally. So, yeah, Trevor Lawrence wasn't great, but he was significantly better, I think, than A, the general perception, and B, a lot of his stats are going to look like because of so many bad receiver plays and a bunch of other things. Like the discourse on Trevor Lawrence is going to jump the shark at some point this offseason pretty hard. And I think we just need to be aware of that. And like, I forget. I think Ian Hartitz posted this video. That's like a, it's like a three-minute video of people just screwing Trevor Lawrence out of touchdowns, right? Whether it's drops, whether it's can't quite get a second feed in, and even like not all these are great throws. You know, like there there are throws that if Trevor Lawrence was a tick earlier on it, or if he'd been like a half step different. But the point being, like there's a three-minute video where if these plays, if something tiny in the play changes. Trevor Lawrence looks like an all-pro relative to where he is right now. And I'm not saying those plays don't exist for every quarterback in the NFL. They do, but the length of the reel is the important thing here, right? Not every quarterback has a three-minute reel of those plays that completely change the, the circumstance. So you can argue that Trevor Lawrence has been a disappointment relative to, you know, greatest quarterback prospects since Andrew Luck, Peyton Manning, John Elway conversations. But I don't think you can argue that he isn't still the guy and he isn't still very good. And if you give him enough help, he can take Jacksonville where they need to go. I will say that the high, he's, he's graded in the high 70s over the last couple of years. That was Andrew Luck's peak from a PFF grading standpoint right. in his first four or five years. He was in the high 70s. Now, the other part of the context there with Luck was it did feel like he was playing behind a bad offensive line pretty consistently. And, you know, pretty good pass catchers, but not great. Defense was never great. It did feel like he had that ability to carry the team, right? Yeah. And, and so he was putting a lot of the team on his back. And I, I do think Lawrence had spurts of that in 2022, was missing some of that. But I do think the down-to-down consistency has been similar to Luck. And then Luck, I think, figured it out, but at least by, from a grading and production standpoint, he figured it out right before he retired, which was year seven or eight. Right. Uh, seven and eight, right, of, of Luck's career. So... I think those comparisons are, are fair at this point. Jags are right in the middle of the pack as far as money goes and cap space and everything. Let's go to the defensive side of the ball. I know they invested in Trayvon Walker. Um, he has not been. I don't care what the sack total said say or ESPN's pass rush win rate. Um, our our numbers say he has not been a great pass rusher to this point and not a great run defender to this point. There's I think there's a perception that he's an elite run defender. I think it, as a rookie, he did some really nice job. Like when he's head up on a tight end, he beats him up and makes plays. But he has not graded well, has not been a factor. Josh Allen has been a factor. I think they're going to do everything they can to keep him in the building. But they need another piece in there. And Trayvon Walker can be a fine, I don't know, rotational player. Maybe he'll develop, what have you. 
But even beyond that, Caleb on Chase on and Dwayne Smoot, they're going to be free agents. They need pass rushers in Jacksonville. I think that was very evident in several of their games last year. Yeah, sure. Um, and they've been, I mean, Caleb on Chase on was a first round pick. He's been a total bust. Like there's like, whatever about the conversation surrounding Trayvon Walker, Caleb on Chase on has just been a disaster as a pick that hasn't worked at all. He'll be gone. Um, Trayvon Walker, you know, the story on him is the same, right? He's, he was the number one overall pick. He was literally the most athletic and sort of put together physical specimen at as an edge rushing prospect that the game has ever seen come into the league uh he was also not a good football player coming into the league and the question was how long is this going to take to develop now that's being thrown into some sharp contrast by the fact that Aiden Hutchinson is now an all-pro caliber edge rusher right which was the alternative you had the choice Trayvon Walker or Aiden Hutchinson um and they chose the guy with the perceived higher ceiling well, right now, Aiden Hutchinson's ceiling has already been shown to be borderline all-pro type play. Uh, Walker is so far removed from that, wherever you think he is right now. So he needs to show that he can bridge that gap and get somewhere near that. Otherwise, that pick is a, a mess. Um, but like, they, I agree that they need edge rushers. I'm curious how they view somebody like Walker because you can look at this sort of – I mean, they've – Trayvon Walker, Josh Allen, Caleb on these are all first-round edge rushers, right? Only one of which right now is worked out, and now you're going to have to pay to keep him around um, yeah. because he's a free agent. Do they look at that the way the Vikings did years ago where they had a succession of first-round edge rushers, none of whom worked out, and they just went, all right, trade everything for, Josh, for, uh, for Jared Allen and just fix it, right? Two first-round picks, Kansas City, pay him, get in a top-tier edge rusher because we need one. Um, and by that, I mean, you know, you could entirely excuse them going back to the well and drafting another first-round edge rusher because they need him. Or do they go, look, our record isn't great at that, so why don't we go and spend some money in free agency and actually bring in a guy that we already know is good? You could easily see the Jags and fans convincing themselves. Walker had five sacks in his last four games. And when, we, when he was drafted, the two guys we said to keep an eye on, uh, to, keep his develop, to keep an eye on with his development were Rashawn Gary, and Daniil Hunter, and because they were those were comparable athletic freaks coming out who had, you know, not great production in college. And Daniil Hunter almost right away looked like a pretty good NFL player. Rashawn Gary took time, mm -hmm. and it was his second year in 2020 when he really broke out. And again, breakout for me is the the numbers that I the numbers that I would look at are the PFF grades because they are more consistent and they're I think a truer indicator of performance not the sack totals I know we've said this 900 times in the last 13 years but four, five sacks in the last four games but pass rush grades of 71 58 57 59 so I think you have to be objective and say he hasn't developed yet he still could he's played a ton of football but last year in the 90s he ranked in the 90s and PFF war and 110th last year if you believe any of those numbers, war is generally pretty good at leading to wins, then you, I think you have to cut down on his workload and get somebody in there. And I do wonder if it's – but I don't think they have the money to, to re-sign Josh Allen and bring in a Daniel Hunter. Right. So is it back – it might be back to the draft at pick 17. And, again, if a, if a Latu – I mean, if Latu, if the Latu's there at 17 
I think he's immediately a better pass rusher than Trayvon Walker. Yeah. Next year. But he's also not, he's also the antithesis of Trayvon Walker. Like if you the guy the guy that made the decision to Yeah, draft, draft the Trayvon, best football player. Right. To draft Trayvon Walker over Aiden Hutchinson is under no circumstances drafting Latu in the first round. I I would bet a unless, lot of money on that. Unless it was just Trent Balky not wanting to draft a guy from Michigan and Jim Harbaugh because of their <laughs> rifts through I the years. That's even more insane. That's not great. But anyway, I mean, Balky's also got a history of you know chasing like stupid athletes. He does. He does. So I would be amazed if that happened. Now going back to the well and getting a first round edge rusher, I wouldn't be crazy. Like wouldn't be nuts. But specifically drafting Latu, I think would be nuts. So of the first round I mean, edges, by the when I say nuts, it would be the right move. But nuts in terms of there's no way they're going to do that. Like if Jared Verse is there, I would now take that's him. a lot more likely. Latu, yes. I would take him. Um, Chop Robinson, if he's around in the second, maybe. Uh, Dallas Turner, I could see them taking. I don't know where Chop ends up. He was 21st on the consensus board last time I printed and laminated this thing. But a lot of people have him going more late first or into the second. Yeah. Either way, I think because they're going to have to pay Josh Allen, and they're probably going to let Trayvon develop a little bit here, I don't know that they could spend a ton of money. I don't know if they can go do the Daniel Hunter thing or no, Brian Burns or anything from a financial standpoint. But, like, but let's – okay, let's let's – Let's assume that they're going to give Trayvon Walker as much time and space to develop as possible. And actually what they're looking for is a replacement for Caleb on Chason, whose workload got scaled down because he was so bad that he couldn't be on the field, right? Let's instead say we're going to get our version of uh, Caleb on Chason who can play 500 snaps and therefore we can scale down Trayvon Walker's workload a little bit and kind of concentrate on coaching him up as we go. Then maybe you're not in the Danell Hunter market. You're in the like Josh Uche market. A guy okay. who can come yeah. in and be, you know, a designated pass rusher and ease the workload of somebody like, um, like Walker. I like that. Let's play that game. Um, what else for Jacksonville? They don't have too many starters. Um, Josh Allen's the only starter hitting free agency. They have a couple backups on the defensive side. Um, but I think. Going back to the offense really quick, too. Interior offensive line, Brandon Scherf getting older. Right. Mentioned Fortner struggling. They've got a hole at left guard where they tried to bring in Ezra Cleveland late. I mean, that's got to be a, a, a spot, too, in probably rounds two, three, four, where they're keeping an eye on those on those players. They have an interesting line where, okay, Anton Harrison, Anton Harrison was a rookie last year. You, you know, he's going to be there long-term going forward. But they – and they've they've invested resources into it, but – there's literally not a spot on that offensive line that couldn't be upgraded if they find the right player. So yeah. just, I mean, I would imagine they are in the market for any and all offensive linemen if the price is right. I think it's, it's another team where it's both, both lines. Uh, trenches need help. Pass rush, as we mentioned. Offensive line generally. I think uh, any team that needs all the offensive line help, I keep pairing them with uh, Graham Barton from Duke mm -hmm. just because I think he's got that positional versatility. He could be a lot. The NFL likes him as a center, played tackle at Duke, could play guard. Troy Fontenot from Washington, played tackle, projected to play guard. I mean, they could be a team that doubles up on the offensive line too with their first two picks and, and tries to shore that up. But I think there's, there's probably one big move to be made and I'd even beyond Josh Allen but it's going to be a little bit tight cap wise I think to, to make the two but it's Josh Allen plus splash move at receiver splash move on the defensive line mm. potentially and that's it yeah so I, I think they really need well. to focus on the offensive line a lot um, if they can you know bring in a Josh Uche 
uh, at as a sort of designated pass rusher. I think that kind of keeps them set at edge rusher so they don't need to chase it in the first round. They could still add one. They've got second rounder, they've got a third rounder, two fourths. Um, but the offensive line is where I would be throwing a lot of my time and resource. Yeah, when you when you start to break it down, we're we're getting into whack-a-mole territory here with this uh, with this roster. Four four out of their five starters in the secondary head into the last year of their contract, including both safeties, Darius Williams at corner, Tyson Campbell at corner. So trying to get young at several positions here, and trying to get impact players at receiver and on the defensive line, good enough players on the offensive line. There's a lot to do here in Jacksonville this offseason. And by the way, if they're, I mean, they're a team where let's assume for a minute Calvin Ridley leaves um, as opposed to them bringing him back there and then they don't do that T Higgins deal that we talked about before. I mean, they're in the market in the draft for a T Higgins type of wide receiver, which as we said, is the strength of this draft. So yes. if you're looking at second or third round for guys like that, um, there will be options, you know, maybe uh, maybe A.D. Mitchell lasts that long to the second round. Keon Coleman, who you don't like and I do like, despite myself, <laughs> might be an option there. Um, Tez Walker would be an option. Xavier Leggett is a weird receiver because, I mean, what was his? He was like listed as 6'3", 227 and ended up measuring at 6'1", 225 or something like that. Uh, he's another guy where there's a lot of reasons to be scared but he's really good at the catch point. Like he's yeah. got that T Higgins thing of it. I hate saying that we've said, we've cautioned against this for years, right? If the first thing you're saying about a guy is his contested catch skills, it's giant red flag and reason to stay the hell away from it. Also a older one year wonder late breakout type of guy. Those don't always work out right. great at receiver. But he is so good at the catch point. Now to be fair, right? One, Drake London, the first thing you would say about Drake London is his catch point skills, and he's been good in the NFL. So it's yeah. not like a total. I know. liked I liked how shifty he was. For right, but it wouldn't guy. have been like literally the first thing every single human being would have said about Drake London is the dude's a catch point savant. And then you would get to, yeah, yeah but he can also move. Like he's not. Then you would get to the reasons he's not. Um, Just that. Yeah, the, the Stanford guy with the weird name. Oh, J.J. Arcega-Whiteside. Yes. Then you would get to the reasons he's not Arcega-Whiteside, right? I, I feel a little bit similar in, in about Leggett in that the first thing you're going to say is the dude's contested cat skills are insane, right? Then you can get to some reasons why he's not Arcega-Whiteside and can be good, but it's still scary. All right, man. Jaguars fixed. Let's go to the Tennessee Titans, rounding out the AFC South. I was on with our friends earlier this morning, Ramon, Ramon. Will, and Kayla. Kayla, yeah. Uh, and the phone wasn't working properly. And oh. I don't think it was an AT&T problem on the basis that I'm not on the AT&T network. Sure. They, I was answering, and then apparently my end would just cut out. And they were like, they, I could hear them, fine. But the phone kept stop working. Anyway, whatever. What's, uh, what's top of mind in Tennessee? What are they... Uh what are they trying to figure out? Uh, they are trying to determine, do they go, it's the Jamar Chase versus Panay Sewell debate at number seven. Do they go receiver? Do they go tackle? Um, this is interesting because I was, I was, I don't want to say we were firmly in the camp. I think you were pretty much toss up. Yeah. Chase I versus Sewell. There wasn't a wrong decision. Yeah. I would have leaned Chase. I think that was the guy that I, I, I would have said Chase at the time. Right. I think my, my perspective changes, I think, depending on the situation. It, it feels like Tennessee can't they have to they have to take care of the foundation of the offensive line first that's where i think they are 
as a as an organization. With Cincinnati, I, I think at the time I was thinking, oh wait, we are going to add him to Higgins and Boyd, and and now we've got the the trio, and and and, and that will offset the offensive line because of the because of all of those guys. And with and with Tennessee, I'm just like, man, they've got one, two. I guess they have two decent starters. I'll, I'll say Peter Skaronsky is going to be okay going forward. Daniel Brunskill, but the tackle situation has been so bad there, and there's there's no hope. I don't think on the roster that I think tackles the way to go. I would take Joe Alt if he's there. I will say. I don't think it's the same conversation. Like the Bengals at five that year, it was, you're going to get, I mean, you basically have a choice. Do you want the generational wide receiver or the generational tackle as they were seen at the time, right? Or at least generally speaking. Uh, The Titans, I mean, they might have the choice between tackle one in this draft and wide receiver three. Like it's not, you know, you're you're very unlikely to, if you're Tennessee, to have the decision between Joe Alt, if he's your number one guy, and Marvin Harrison Jr. Right. Harrison right. Jr. is going to be gone. Odunze or Neighbors might be gone. You might be picking the third guy versus the top tackle on the board when the, that's a bigger need. The Bengals were picking at five in a year where there were five first-round quarterbacks, and who knows who ends up there, but there were three that went in the top three. Could get the same thing here, but the Titans are picking at seven. So, yeah, it's it's not necessarily the same thing. I think Joe Walt's their best their best-case scenario. Big Joe Walt fan. I think he's going to be very good at left tackle. Um, but there's a lot of holes. They asked, so then another question they asked was, would you, um, would you kick Skaronsky out to tackle and give him a chance at that this offseason? I would always do that, yes. Even um, with drafting Joe Alt. Yeah, because you need a right tackle too. Right. You need two different tackles. Now with Skaronsky, that's it's a bit of a double whammy. You're flipping sides and maybe moving him to tackle. Or... But, don't switch sides. Play him at left tackle. Or play him at left tackle. All to right. Yeah, it really doesn't matter. I mean, the I, people are still talking about like what a pr- prototypical left tackle looks like. I still see people being like, well, Fuaga played right tackle, so if you need a right tackle, just get him. It's like, man, the two best right tackles in the NFL, Ryan Ramchak and Panay Sewell, played left tackle. And other than Panay Sewell looking like terrible for seven games at right tackle, plus right. the preseason, it's all been great. It's all been fine. Like the transition did not take long. Anyway, um, there's one other thing I wanted to add to that. Oh, Skaronsky. I'll say this a lot during draft season, and now that combine week is, you know, arm length and measurable season and the whole thing, Luke Gedeke from the Tampa Bay Bucks is the example, right? He struggled at guard. Gedeke played very good right tackle in college at Central Michigan, gets drafted to the NFL. They moved him to guard. He struggled at guard, struggled with power. And then the Bucks give him a shot to play right tackle again last year, and he was a good, solid right tackle despite his 32-and-a-half-inch arms. He overcame it, right? He's the guy where as soon as his measurables come out, you're like, oh, guard. Guard conversion has to happen. And once he got moved to tackle, he was a better tackle than guard. And so, like, that would be the guy that you would look at if you're the Titans and say, can Skaronsky do this? And then the, the thing that we always weigh, if you believe – can. Is Skaronsky going to be an elite guard, or is he going to be a good enough tackle? And which one is more valuable? And from a scarcity, like from like an on-field value standpoint, it might be a wash. Maybe the guard's better. But from a scarcity standpoint, finding tackles is difficult. Finding starting tackles is difficult. And if you have one on your roster, you let him do it. So I would let Skaronsky take a shot at. 
tackle. The other interesting element of the Tennessee offensive line, which let's remember has been the worst line in the NFL for two straight years now, um, the coaching hiring they've made is bringing in multiple Callahans, right, who have a track record of really good offensive line development. So as much as on paper the group that they currently have looks crappy, it looks like the worst offensive line in the NFL because nothing's changed yet. I do wonder what impact they can make on several of the players in that group. I mean, Skaronsky is the obvious yeah. one, right? Skaronsky is, is the obvious one because we think he has really high-end talent. But, like, Dylan Radons played some okay football last year and had been a disaster up until that point. But, you, you know, you reverse back a while, and it's like Radons was a pretty highly thought-of prospect when he came out. I, I do kind of uh, Nicholas Petit Frere, you know, had, was not was a third round pick, something like that, yeah. and and obviously Andre Dillard with first round pedigree, albeit yeah. no real evidence. Petit Frere played as a rookie at right, right tackle, now, and now Dillard came from yeah. Philadelphia, where they've got a pretty good development pathway themselves. But I do wonder, like, what impact Callahan can have on the group that's already there before you start getting to what can we add to this and what can we improve personnel wise yeah i've said that for years i do think that the o-line if you if you have a difference maker at offensive line coach of all the position coaches it probably has the chance to make the biggest difference so that is definitely something to keep an eye on if you're tennessee the reason why they're debating receiver is you've got deandre hopkins remember a late addition last year we didn't know where nuke was going to go across the nfl he goes to tennessee um at the time tennessee had the worst on paper receiver group right mm-hmm. i mean it was Traylon burks nick westbrook akina um still have Traylon burks there who hasn't really developed as a former first round pick hopkins is clearly the top guy but he's in his last year of his contract you're a big proponent of hey give the young quarterback a guy like new hopkins i'll say this will levis will levis probably wasn't as good as perception because his first game his first start he had four touchdowns yeah but if he doesn't have Nuke Hopkins out there last year, what does Will Levis even do? Like, all of his production went to Nuke. That was huge. That's a big confidence builder. It's, it's showing what this young quarterback can do. But, yeah, you have to add even more now to complement Nuke in this year and also have playmakers for the future. Yeah, first game was four touchdowns, and then the rest of the, the, rest of the way was four touchdowns. Yeah. Um, Will Levis, I mean, the thing about Levis is we still really don't have any idea what he is. Um, I mean, I know what the style of play is going to be. Yeah, psychotic. Um, yes. Like Levis in showed flashes. Fun. But it's also, you have to bear in mind how bad that situation was, right? That we, again, keep hammering it in. This was the worst offensive line in the NFL. And it was a non-viable level of offensive line. Like it made Derrick Henry look mortal because the line is so bad. So that all factors into what Will Levis was doing. You, it, like, you can't fairly evaluate what Levis was because the situation wasn't workable, and yet he made some things happen. So the fact that he made some things happen in that situation is at least indicated, indication enough that we give him this year and we see what we have. But it doesn't mean that if we improve the offensive line, let's say they come in between personnel and Callahan, they wave a magic wand, and that line ranks 16th this year in the NFL, right? They have achieved creep back toward average in an offseason. That doesn't mean that Levis will look any different whatsoever. He might look exactly the same, and he was just able to make that work behind a terrible offensive line, but it looks exactly the same behind a reasonable one. And if that happens, like, the Titans are still – they still don't have a quarterback. I mean, he, he was a second-round pick. Now, reportedly, Tennessee was – remember, they picked Skaronsky at, what, 11? Right. So they didn't take Levis at 11. 
reportedly they were trying to get back into the first to get him. So they liked him enough, right? It's not as simple as, well, the NFL thought he was a second-round pick. What right. really happened was I think teams said, you know, we're not picking a quarterback. And like, I like Levis. Yeah. I'm just saying that we still don't really have any idea whether he's a quarterback or not in the NFL. But he's got at least one more year to yes. prove himself. And so they're not they're not looking beyond. They're going to try to – they've got a lot of cap space. They're going to try to – but I think you have to like, build the, the infrastructure job, here. The job now needs to be let's make sure we can at least fairly evaluate. Yes, which for means sure. receivers and offensive line. Um, I would still try to bring in more talent on the O line. They have they have the money, um, you know, free agent wise. They do need a center because the the modern marvel of Aaron Brewer hits free agency. Mm. Um, are they in the mix for the Kevin Dotsons, Robert Hunts, Kevin Zeitler of the world? Zeitler was with um, Bill Callahan at some point, probably. I don't remember offhand. Anyway, um, do you bring in just some starting guards, especially if you're going to kick Skaronsky out to tackle? I mean, they're a team where I think everything they do this offseason effectively could be offense. Forget defense for a year. Your job is put as much around Will Levis as possible so that you can at least figure out if Will Levis is a quarterback or not. Because if you can't figure that out, you're in exactly the same position as if he isn't. Yeah. It's just you don't know if you're legit or not. Like, you might have tainted the, the experiment. Yeah, the, um, and then, look, I'm a, you know, I'm a big fan of filling the needs before free agency, uh, before the draft and the whole thing, but even if you bring in multiple offensive linemen and, like, you're, to your point, okay, well, let's figure out what we have in him. If they had a shot at Malik Neighbors or Roma Dunze versus Joe Alt, yeah. I, maybe if they, if they do well in free agency and bring in some starters, you could say, okay, give me one of those receivers, pair them with Nuke, Traylon Burks becomes your three, and maybe he becomes that kind of yak guy that he was in college, yeah. right? Instead of trying to be this all all around receiver, right? Maybe that is a good situation. I do think though that the the tackle, the Joe Walt, you know, having a rookie contract tackle is a is a pretty good advantage. But so you'd have to, you'd have to be really shrewd in free agency, shore up the offensive line first before I'm willing to go and say, okay, give me the receiver, and now give me Levis with. First-round receiver plus Nuke plus Traylon Barks, and now we're cooking. I mean, it's also similar to the, the – one of the reasons that would sort of – that would push you to the uh, Panay Sewell side or the Joe Alt side of the equation is always what does the second round look like, right? Yeah. You know, what is the supply and demand deal here? Because it's not just in isolation player X versus player Y. It's you're going to have a chance to come back and hit the other one the next round. I'll and tell you – yeah, I mean, there's – I'll tell you one guy that out is on my no draft list just because the production isn't there is Tyler Guyton, the tackle out of Oklahoma. Right. But if you have if you trust your offensive line coach, the potential's through the roof, right? Sure. That's one of those where my 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 eyes are saying this dude can be something, but the production says no, but Guyton could be a really good developmental tackle. But I think generally in the NFL draft now and for a while, there's been so much more um, capacity to draft receivers in the second, third, fourth round that can come in and be good. Yes, that's the, yeah, and, that's the point you're really tackle, trying to make. Right? Yes. So if you are picking number seven, like you just look, they pick number seven and number 38, right? If we assume that in some combination that is tackle wide receiver, and it may well not be, like who knows, but you're, it's not just, it's, it's Joe Alt or, you know, Fashanu or whoever you want to pick at that spot, Fuaga. Um, or neighbors of Dunze, whichever one of those is available, uh, or, or plus the the second round version, which could be Tyler Guyton. But you know, in the second round, you could have a ton of really good wide receivers as well. 
even the like they don't pick till the fourth, but the fourth round you might get a decent receiver as well. So there's usually more receivers in the second, yeah, third, fourth, right, to choose from. To me, Absolutely. I think you're probably going to have the option to pick your favorite offensive tackle off the board at number seven. At which point, I'm doing that. I'm seeing who's there at 38 yeah. for wide receiver. If I have to wait until pick 107, I'm still okay with that at wide receiver. I would go that route. I'm completely with you. Of all the of all the years, though, there might actually be a decent crop of second round tackles. I think Jordan Morgan from Arizona potentially could be there. I mentioned Guyton. Guyton might end up going top twenty because right. of how he how he looks and everything. But Patrick Paul from Houston. There is some intriguing second round tackles there. Um, I disagree with you on giving up on the defense for year one. I, I mean, I think you. Spend most of your resources on offense, but the defense has plenty of holes as well. Sure, I just don't care because my only my only task is making sure that I know what yeah. Will Levis is at the end of this year. I think you have to acknowledge, though. I mean, there's I think there's a couple ways of looking at it. When we complimented Mike Vrabel for years, especially the year that the Titans were the number one seed mm-hmm. with this no name defense, like the roster hasn't been great right. for a few years. And I, I think where they invested their money, the Bud Dupree's and Harold Landry's of the world, all of those things came back to bite where it's like, where's the depth? Where are the impact players? The idea that I, I think Vrabel was, they were keeping it together. And then just, it started to fall apart. My, my point is, this is a multi-year. It's another one of those teams. I think it's a multi-year rebuild. Yeah. I so. would just, I would treat the defense the way Nick Casario seems to treat the roster and just bring in 15 players for $3 million a year. And like, you know, I don't... I, the defense needs to be overhauled as well. I just don't think that that matters if you haven't even figured out what Will Levis is by the end of the year. All right. Um, on the defensive side of the ball, just to highlight it a little bit, Sean Murphy Bunting and Christian Fulton, the two starting corners and probably the worst starting corner duo in the NFL last year, both hit free agency. I've mentioned Fulton as a nice buy low because he's just coming off a terrible season. Right. Murphy Bunting... Tried, they tried to play him outside after years playing in the slot with the Bucs. Didn't really work. So they've got two corners, to, um, to two corner positions to solve. Caleb Farley never really developed as a first-round pick, had all those injury concerns. So uh, the entire secondary needs help as well. Yep. Agreed. So, except Roger McCreary, who's a good player. Except Roger McCreary. And, you know, Monty Hooker's good too. They need pass rushers. They need a lot of stuff. Yeah. No, I, like, I'm, I'm in no way trying to argue that the defense is not in a terrible state of disrepair. I just don't care. Tennessee Titans discussed potential fixes. We're going slower than ever. Perfect. In this, on this one. Atlanta Falcons. We're on to the NFC South. Falcons bringing in Raheem Morris, former PFF for Zach Robinson. You guys are going to hear that too much. I'm sorry. Uh, calling the plays now. Uh, first order of business in Atlanta, though, figuring out the quarterback situation. Yeah. Figuring out who it's going to be. So where yeah. are you going? Who's your quarterback? What's your solution? Well, we're going to try to make the pitch to Kirk. You're making the pitch to Kirk. Yeah. Okay. It's, it's just so, a funny world that we live in, right? The guy that some teams want to move on from, but other teams see as, like, the key to moving forward as well, an organization. Yeah, and it's always – it's always a contract thing as well. Like it's never just the player in isolation. It's always contract, money, whatever else. Yeah. Like the current reports are that the thing, the the line in the sand that the Vikings have finally drawn with Kirk Cousins is we're no longer doing the fully guaranteed deal that has been the Kirk Cousins hallmark for his career at this point. Like I want I just want fully guaranteed money. 
And the Vikings have been, okay, we can do that for three years at a time. We just keep re-upping it. They've been, now they're like, nope, not doing it. You're 35, you're coming off an Achilles injury, can't do it, can't risk that kind of money. Um, so it seems fairly clear now then, if somebody wants Kirk Cousins, there's a very simple way of getting it done, which is to say, we'll give you the three-year fully guaranteed contract, and okay, that might come back to bite us. Maybe we only get two years out of you. Maybe we only get one. But that's the way of getting him. If you want Kirk Cousins, I think a fairly simple way of doing that would be to offer him three years fully guaranteed the way the Vikings have been happy to do for a couple of go-rounds. Um, so uh, breaking news as we record here on a Friday, Jonathan Jones of CBS Sports, former colleague. Breaking days ago. Days ago. The 2024 NFL salary cap is set for a whopping record-breaking $255 million. That's up more than $30 million from last year's cap. Let's go. It's a it's fascinating when this happens because it like every team gets more money to spend obviously so it's not like an advantage for one every fan base is like yes this is an advantage for us it's like no you literally every team gets this but the advantage really is for teams that have already already have contracts the more players you already have under contract under the old cap basically with the old I mean the worse your salary cap situation was before this happened the better it looks now because it's just gone up a ton yeah I'm just saying like think about the say Patrick Mahomes deal how much more of a discount right. is every other deal currently so I mean it's it's timely because we're talking about Kirk Cousins so now when Cousins hits the open market I mean dude business hall of fame here like is he gonna get 45 million when normal it should have been 38 you know, all of a sudden it's ah, we, we can go to forty-five. We can go to forty-eight sure. for I mean, a couple of years. Yeah, everyone's money's going. Everything's going to be super inflated for the players that you sign now, and the bargains are the guys that are you know that you have under contract who yeah. all probably I mean, want to be why, restructured. Yeah, this, this is why all those like, as no matter what top of the market is, the longer that goes, the better the deal looks. The only reason, the only way that is not the case is if the player becomes not as good. Like if you end up signing a guy who then plays badly, and you're like, oh, now I'm sad I have him under contract at all. I want to get rid of this guy. Yeah. But the deal itself, as long as that guy remains playing, is always ends up looking good. Like, no no top-of-the-market court. Like, Dak Prescott, the last time around, we were debating was he worth $30 million a year, right? And our opinion at the time was no. Now... If they got Dak Prescott for thirty million dollars a year, it would be like the bar. It would be one of the best value quarterback deals in the NFL, right? Obviously, guys like Brock Purdy, but like veteran contracts, the co the price now is double that. We're talking is he sixty million dollars a year? And the answer is going to be the same, no. But then in three years' time, we're going to be back where we started and be like, ah, sixty million looks like a bargain. So yeah, like Kirk Cousins, it's going to be a high amount of money. It's still going to be worth it if Kirk Cousins remains playing like Kirk Cousins. I mean, I think, I think I might try to play in the NFL now that the cap's higher. We should just do that. There's more money to be spent. Yeah. It's like the people that only play the lottery when it gets over a billion. Mm. Like, ah, oh, 200 million. I'm not going to go play it. But it's over a billion it. now. Get to go. Yeah. Get to go play. Now it's worth it. Um, anyway, I don't know what they're going to do it quarterback i mean I, I would i would make a pitch for cousins let's say that fails let's say uh, fails i mean do, do you think we'll do it do you think we'll think we'll get if, it done? i think if they want i think given the reason that kirk cousins now apparent it, it seems to be at an impasse with the vikings it now makes it very easy for a team who wants kirk cousins to get kirk cousins so if the falcons want kirk cousins they get kirk cousins yeah because so part of the equation there for me is kirk and all the money and i get to keep my pick at eight 
right? I get to keep that draft pick. Yeah. And all of these conversations that we're having about the receivers and you know finding an impact player there, I get to I get to choose one of them, right? I've got um, I have eight, I have four picks in the top eighty. So having the quarterback locked up, now I'm looking at give me that second receiver, man. Give me that Drake London, Kyle Pitts compliment, Bijan Robinson for Kirk to work. For Kirk to work, you need to have playmakers everywhere. So give me one of those top receivers, plus Drake London, plus Kyle Pitts, plus Bijan Algier. Pretty good offensive line. Um, my one question about the offensive line is they've been much better from a run game perspective than they are in pass protection in a run-heavy offense with Arthur Smith somewhat protected by play-action misdirection and run game heavy. Uh, Arthur Smith's uh, addition there you know, co- kind of coincided with Caleb McGarry playing better. But again, from more from like a run game perspective, is this – it's it's an on paper good PFF offensive line. Does that translate to Zach's system, more right. of a Rams ish type of system where they're going to be on an island a little bit more in pass pro? That's yeah. one of the questions I have. Very big change in in system scheme. Um, that's going to be uh, a significant change. You so okay. Let's we've gotten Kirk Cousins. We have a quarterback. Kirk's the guy. Uh, we're now left with pick number eight. Uh, overall, if we get Kirk Cousins, we're probably not significant players in free agency outside of that, even with the new salary cap and money going up, et cetera. Yeah. Um, we second or third tier, we still tinker around the edges, but that's the majority of our spending done. So we're into the draft with number eight overall. You are targeting wide receiver two. We, if if one of the top guys is there, if if neighbors or a Dunze is there, I would do it. Okay. Um, because the other option is we basically still have no edge rushes. Uh, that was the other thing I was going to say. If if one of those top receivers isn't there, flipping to the defensive side here, I'm a lot too reverse guy. I would be fine taking them in the top ten, and um, could absolutely. I, I think the Falcons' defense was very good last year, uh, especially relative to the uh, to the personnel. I think they've made some nice moves over there, but yeah, there's one definitely most, a need for more playmakers. One there. of the most popular picks for them is Dallas Turner at eight, and I still just don't see it with Dallas Turner. I'm not in on Dallas Turner. Same, but we'll see what the combine does. But I'll the see flip what the side that is, as we're like all in on Latu, and yet nobody's going to want to put him at eight overall. I mean, I would trade down and take Latu. Trade down. Yeah, I would love to know. I mean, they're going to have we're, we're, we got a lot of time to go here, but they'll have feelers at, like to where that where he goes, or if if he even just passes your medical or whatever it might. Yeah, be. Yeah, I mean, every time I I reference Latu, like the biggest thing Preface on him it. is always going to be, what does your medical team say? Like, if assuming my thing with Latu is always assuming everybody is cool with the medical, right? Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't hate one of the corners either. You've got AJ Terrell. He's heading into the, his last year. Um, Clark Phillips, they've got uh, Akuda and Trey Flowers both hitting for agency. They could use corner depth. Sure, uh, it, it's a weird spot though because I think if one of the top three wide receivers is there, I feel great about taking them at eight. Yeah. Once you start talking corners or edges, I'd rather take them at twelve to fifteen. So if there is a move to be made, maybe maybe one of the other QB desperate teams wants to come up to eight and take somebody. Maybe there is a move to trade down with the Raiders or the Broncos so that they can get their J.J. McCarthy or whatever that ends up looking like. That would be my first – that would be my hope, I think. Take one of the receivers or trade down, and then good with an edge, good with one of the corners. Now we're cooking. Yeah. Um, if we sense. don't get to draft one of the receivers, 
what are we going to do? I mean, Van Jefferson, Scotty Miller, Mac Hollins, all those guys are free agents. It's the only guys on the depth chart really are Drake London. It's really it. Yeah. Um, I, I would move Kyle Pitts to wide receiver. Just officially? Yes. I would make him my ex receiver. I would make him my number one guy. I would have Drake London as a number two. I would draft a complimentary piece lower down, you know, somebody like Xavier Worthy from Texas, like uh, any of those kind of second, third, lower round guys. Uh, and then I would go fight a tight end because I think that's probably easier than trying to find a superstar number one wide receiver. Interesting. Um, I don't know if that's going to happen. I think Pitts might just be a tight end that moves around and, and does some stuff. What about Tyler Boyd here? Yeah. With Atlanta. That would make a lot of sense. To hedge. Because yeah. if you have Tyler Boyd and you still drafted a receiver, like that's fine. Sure. But if you were stuck with just Tyler Boyd and Drake London and Kyle Pitts, then that's, that's okay too. But, I mean, I, I want to drop the hammer with, with multiple playmakers. We're doing some good stuff here in Atlanta. <laughs> we're doing some good stuff here. <clears throat> you should send uh, Zach the plan. I will. I'll send it to him. Mm. Here's what we've done for you. Here's what we've done. Here's what you guys can do. You may thank us later. Um, I need some insight, how much you trust the O-line. That might affect things. I mean, that's a – they've got Caleb McGarry locked up for a couple of years. I feel like I I still don't completely trust him. Yeah. I mean, they, yeah, they, <laughs> they, they made the decision for you. Like, he's there. He is there at $11.5 million a year. Um, had he not been locked up for more than one year, I would say tackle right. would be in play there. But – all right, man. Did we fix the Falcons in record time? Yeah. To give them some more love? That wasn't that hard. What else on the defensive side of the ball? I, th I think corner needs help and edge needs help. Those are the biggest ones, right? Calais yeah. Campbell hits free agency. Any sort of defensive line depth, everybody right. needs that. Linebacker may, but you're going to give guys like Troy Anderson another year to see if he can be the guy. You just don't know. So, you know, hedging with a developmental prospect in the draft somewhere might make sense. A guy that could either challenge right away or potentially step in next year um, just as a – uh, hedging of your bets. Sorry, what position? Linebacker. Oh, linebacker, yeah. Um, I think they're another team that's in that um, bargain basement edge AJ Epinesa world. Like, bring in... I mean, they, need, just they need, need depth pieces and impact pieces yes, as well. Yes, they just need all of the edge rushers. Yes. Like, everything. They, I, I don't know that they have a viable edge rusher right now. Like, Lorenzo Carter is their best guy. Arnold Ebichetti is the sort of young guy that they expected to be good, hasn't really taken that step forward. And obviously, they put money into guys like Bud Dupree, and we could have told you at the time that that was a bad decision. In fact, we did. That's <laughs> <laughs> well, not always easy, Sam. As is taking care of your health, not always easy, but it should at least be simple. That's why, for the last couple of years, we've been drinking AG1 every day, with no exceptions here on the PFF NFL podcast. It's just one scoop, mix it with water once a day, every day. Makes me feel great. Ready to podcast for two and a half to three hours. Ready to take on the day, baby. It's because each serving of AG1 delivers my daily dose of vitamins, minerals, pre- and probiotics, and more. It's a powerfully healthy habit that's also powerfully simple. I like to drink my AG1 first thing in the morning, which is recommended for optimal nutrient absorption. Fill up my shaker with extra cold water, add one scoop of AG1, shake it up, and I'm ready to go. If I'm running short on time, can't mix my AG1 before heading out, just grab a travel pack. Each is an individual serving of AG1 that's easy to mix on the go, helping ensure I get my daily nutrients no matter what. So if there's one product I had to recommend to elevate your health, it's AG1. That's why we've partnered with them for so long here on the PFF NFL Podcast. So if you want to take ownership of your health, start with AG1. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3 and K2 and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase at drinkag1.com slash PFF. That's drinkag1.com slash PFF. Go check it out right now. 
All right, man, Carolina Panthers. We fixed, uh, we fixed Atlanta. Mm-hmm. Panthers are up next. We got to uh, Dave Canales comes in as head coach. Oh, boy. And we need to fix Bryce Young. Yeah. And get him on track. We do. And we do not have our first-round pick. No. Which is number one overall. So how are we doing it? We do have 33, though. Do have 33. Um, which will help. <laughs> we badly, badly need wide receivers. Uh, that's the biggest thing. Now, the offensive line was also kind of garbage, but I would say wide receiver is the acute need, and then we can try and uh, help the offensive line along the way and hopefully offset it with some scheme. Do you think a Mike Evans would go to Carolina, the familiarity with Dave Canales, or is is Evans at this point in his career just not interested in the reclamation project? Eh, I mean, I think money talks. If they... If the Bucks let him get that far and Carolina is willing to go to a place that Tampa isn't in terms of money, I, I don't see a re- like I don't think Mike Evans would be uh, morally against playing in Carolina for the last couple of years of his career if it got that far. But I don't know that it gets that far. Thought he was going to be a buck for life. Yeah. Still could be. And he still could be. But if they like if they're not willing to go to where he believes he's valued and Carolina is, I mean this, these things happen in the NFL to business. Um <clears throat> I mean, those are the types of extreme moves. We've done a lot of uh, discussion on this over the last couple of months. Every time we talk high-end receivers, it's like, all right, Bryce Young needs somebody. Um, just to rehash just a little bit of the history, uh, Tua did not look great for his first two years. And then he got Tyree Kill plus Mike McDaniel and all of a sudden puts up legit numbers. Jalen Hurts was pretty good his first year plus four starts. Gets A.J. Brown, they go to the Super Bowl. I mean, this has been a consistent trend. We mentioned Will Levis in his few starts. Nuke Hopkins was a complete difference maker for for Will Levis. Um, any other examples just off the top of your head? I don't know, but this is just I mean, Joe Burrow, you could say. Yeah, Joe Burrow absolutely. had one of the worst deep balls in the NFL as a rookie, but by year two, one of the best, just by adding Jamar Chase to the mix. So these are trends. When you have the rookie contract quarterback, go get alpha receiver if you can. The problem now, though, is the Panthers don't have a pick at the top, and the only one who might actually hit the market is Mike Evans. Uh, T. Higgins probably gets franchise tagged, but you're doing everything you can for either Higgins or Evans at this point if you're the Panthers, right? Yeah, or trying to manufacture another trade that nobody's thinking about um, and just throwing stuff at the wall and seeing if you can make it happen. But, yeah, they desperately need an impact guy uh, or – just a massive like overall upgrade in the receiving room like if we can't get it done by one guy then let's bring in three or four that we think can upgrade each one of our spots because you know Adam Thielen I think was surprisingly solid last year uh but he was their number one guy and here their best guy by a mile and when that's the case you have problems but like DJ Chark is hitting the free agent market um Terrace Marshall did nothing Jonathan Mingo their rookie last season did nothing and look concerning you can't rely on any of those guys so that's three spots you could upgrade by bringing in any three receivers effectively and try to improve the position like the the Dave Canales factor will be interesting like he did wonders he worked wonders with Baker Mayfield last season um early in the year like every time they got to third down there was an open guy for Baker to hit like his his third down numbers were insane his grade wasn't necessarily insane Dave Canales was just like dialing a guy up every time they got to third down. What he can do with Bryce Young is going to be a huge part of all this. Like, yeah. 
it's the situation last year both in terms of the offensive line and receivers was terrible make no mistake about that but it was also very clear to see how much of the problem Bryce Young was because as soon as Andy Dalton came in it looked okay yeah it worked it wasn't good but it functioned right and you know Andy Dalton's been in the NFL for more than a decade he's a an established smart veteran quarterback who knows how to make things work even when they're not good but it showed you how far off the pace Bryce Young was as a rookie. So a big question is going to be how much can Dave Canales on his own move Bryce Young in the right direction, and then how much can we do to help him with the personnel upgrades? Yeah, like the, if, you're, if you want to be encouraged as a Panthers fan, the A-B analysis of the 2022 and 23 Bucks. In 2022, Brady's last year, Byron Leftwich calling plays. They couldn't run the ball whatsoever, historically bad. That kind of carried over into 23, but the second half of the year was much better. From a pass game perspective, you've got Brady back there who you know, obviously knows how to read defenses and everything. They just didn't have open receivers over right. and over again. They had talented receivers, Mike Evans and Chris Godwin. Um, Godwin is battling injury, whatever. But they, were not, they weren't scheming anything open. And almost immediately you could see that from Canales, right? The third down stuff that you mentioned, they would get Baker out on the move, bootleg a little bit, some play action. Um, Canales had this knack for calling screens against overload blitzes consistently to the point where they had three or four 30-yard screens for touchdowns, right? Like they, they did some really nice stuff. Um, so that's what you're banking on here is that this is, it's going to look different almost immediately because you're going to be like, oh, Bryce Young looks comfortable because, look, there's an open receiver 10 yards down the field. That like didn't exist last year. And make no mistake, Bryce Young wasn't good, right? Like his rookie season reminded me of a couple of it was um, terrible. Blaine Gabbert was the worst rookie quarterback season I think I've ever seen for a guy that started almost the whole season pretty consistently. And it was, I'm not trying to pick on Blaine. I'm just saying, I'm just trying to describe it. It was so bad that like when he stepped up in the pocket and hit one dig route, it was like, look, progress. And there was like three of those plays all year. That's what it felt like watching Bryce Young last year the other one that reminded me of was, was Jared Goff was that first season where yeah. personnel was bad and he was bad and scheme was bad it was all bad but yeah. it was only for like five or six games with Goff right. but if he made one good throw it's like all right maybe this is it like that that was that was Bryce Young season last year where there was two good games and each game had like one or two plays where it said okay there's a little bit of promise there but the majority of it was poor um, but i you know, Goff has come out of it, right? He came out of that, and he came out of it the next year with McVeigh and actually similar personnel where everything looked different. So that's what you're kind of hoping for if you're Carolina. Yeah, there are it's, – it's almost impossible to pick out any signs of encouragement from Bryce Young's rookie season. They, it, he was bad across the board. As you said, even anything that you would say was like a sign of encouragement, if you compared that to like anybody else, would be seen as pathetic. Like his – his green shoots were like, hey, look, he threw for more than 87 yards this week. You know, it was awful. Um, the only kind of optimism is other good quarterbacks have had rookie years like that in the past and come out of it. Jared Goff being one. Matthew Stafford had one of the worst rookie seasons anybody's ever seen, and he came out of it. It was terrible, particularly in PFF grade terms. He was awful. I think his grade is actually worse than Bryce Young's last year. And I remember uh, Stafford's stats 
in grade being bad. I don't remember like feeling oh, you, you almost like feel bad for the quarterbacks right. who looked overwhelmed. I don't think Stafford ever looked like that, no matter what the grade says, I guess. But I could I go back and rewatch some Stafford rookie ball, you know, see you how do. it did. You do that. Um, the point being, he came out of it as well. He so did. the only sign for the only optimistic outlook for Bryce Young is that people have come out of things that bad before. It's not that there's any indication that that's going to happen. And in fact, most quarterbacks that play that badly right away don't. Right. So if you were looking at this and you're saying, after year one, what do we think of Bryce Young? You can't be more encouraged. Like at the minimum, you're saying, okay, it doesn't look like he's a guy right now. So Carolina's desperately hoping that with Canales coming in and with an upgrade at receiver and an upgrade on the offensive line, we can fix Bryce Young. But they, there's probably a greater chance than not that that doesn't work. And he's just, they just missed. A couple other things to consider here in Carolina. I don't think the process for trading up for a quarterback is the wrong one. Now, certainly in hindsight, I don't think the Panthers make this trade again. If they knew that they were going to pick number one overall next year, right. in a year where at the time Caleb Williams and Drake May were, you know, thought to be battling for that number one spot, they wouldn't have done it in hindsight. But when you make the move, I think process-wise it's fine. But the thing I always say is when you go up and get the quarterback, you're giving up a whole bunch of draft capital. you got to recoup that on the back end somewhere. The Panthers come into this year not only missing their first-round pick, they get the first pick of the second round, but only six picks total. And it's not just alpha receiver that they need. As you mentioned, offensive line has issues. Uh, One of their best defensive players, Brian Burns, hits free agency. Uh, they do need help on that side of the ball. They need more than just an alpha receiver, right? I mean, they, they need a lot of things. So how do you balance that? I think they should make a play for the high-end receivers. But I also want to flip six picks and turn it into ten because you got to start getting the rest of this roster back on track. Um, as far as defensive players, J.C. Horn and Derek Brown probably both do for extensions. And so I would lock those guys up, probably let Burns walk, and then just start adding pieces in the draft. And it's another multi-year uh, operation here. Um, okay, let's start adding some players to them then. I would give them – I would sign – so I would let Brian Burns walk. I, you've done that dance enough. He's not fixing anything on defense. Again, I feel similar to the Panthers the way I do about the Titans. Forget defense this year. I don't care about it. Like, we'll deal with that down the road. We need to fix offense because nothing matters if Bryce Young isn't the guy. And at the moment, he looks more like he's not the guy than if he is. So let's focus 100% on offense. The over the cap, by the way, has updated the numbers since the the news. Four teams are now over or under the cap that were over it an hour ago. Nice. So that's gonna this could work. We're good now. Um, I, I would sign Dalton Schultz. I think you could get Dalton Schultz to come in and I be love a that. pretty useful uh, <coughs> upgrade. In your tight end room, be he made a nice Bryce. Safety he made uh, C.J. Stroud last. Year. Made Stroud. Made him. Yeah, yes. yeah. So you can have, you know, you can have a safety net as well in Dalton Schultz. Um, I so we talked earlier about how how inadequate Calvin Ridley is for the Jacksonville Jaguars as a number one guy. You know, I don't need him to be a number one guy. He's just a massive upgrade in terms of route running, separation, getting open. I want to add Calvin Ridley to this offense. It is all perspective, right? I mean, Ridley, look, Adam Thielen was good at being the get open in zone, the, the Reggie Wayne thing that we always describe. Last year, of uh, first year of Andrew Luck's career, last year of Reggie Wayne being a starter, it's just like dependable guy, move the chains, open against zone, knows where to be. That was Thielen last year. Ridley and, and DJ Chark was not that. He was the opposite. So Ridley is an upgrade over DJ Chark. 
And then maybe you let your guy Jonathan Mingo just be the deep threat and you know be the take the top off the defense type of guy. Now we're now we're cooking. I mean, deep, I still uh, have offensively. Yeah, I still think Mingo could become a good player down the line. But given what we saw from him year one, you can't rely on it anymore. Like you have to treat him the way they didn't treat Terrace Marshall, which is just say, look, if he emerges and develops, great. If he doesn't, I'm not. I don't care. It's just funny that you like you liked both Mingo and Jordan Addison, who feel complete opposites and tanked out. And Tank Dell. Completely different players, all yeah. three of them. But, um, yeah. but, but like, I would – so, I mean, if I, Mingo shouldn't be higher on my depth chart this year than number four. Like, that's how I would approach this, yes. this roster for Carolina. He is so, that, that number four that is the deep threat that I always covet. But I would also draft somebody as well. So I would, bring, I would keep Adam Thielen around because he's, you know, he was their one good player. I would add Calvin Ridley in free agency. Um, Mingo is my number four uh, – A.D. Mitchell at 33, if he's there. Smith-Marset would keep around as a special teams guy and a a gimmick in the offense. And then, yes, I would go after a wide receiver with that top pick. And if A.D. Mitchell was there, I would be all for that. I like it. Now we're moving. Now we're getting in the right direction. And we added Dalton Schultz. I would look to the um, center guard world as well in free agency. Yeah. For uh, all the teams that have the offensive line issues, find your – at least find your guards. They're, like, they're starting caliber guards in free agency for decent money. They are, yeah. They are a group, though, a little bit like uh, Indianapolis a year ago, where I don't think this line should have been as bad as it was last season, right? And I think there's a good chance that this group, simply by virtue of playing a different season, plays better than they did last year. Now, it doesn't mean you don't upgrade it, um, but, you know... I, I think Frank Reich is the uh, common denominator there of poor no, offensive I just line think play. Sometimes you catch like the you know unless you have a group of superstars, sometimes you catch the bad end of variance for like three or four different guys at the same time, and suddenly your line looks like crap. Like it's not a great group of personnel, but it's better than it was a year. Ago. It's better than it looked a year ago. Um, so I'm at, you know guard in particular, center sure. I think you can upgrade the personnel, but I do think there's a chance that with touching nothing this line would look better all right if we're gonna forget the defense yeah upgrade the offense don't care have we fixed the panthers i think so we've got them pointed in the right direction we got we got new receivers we got ad mitchell we've got um Mm -hmm. we've got uh dalton schultz we've got calvin Calvin ridley Ridley, and we still have adam thielen uh smith marset and maybe mingo shows up. kevin dotson at guard maybe i don't know yeah, Austin Corbett, like a lot of those guys should play better. Yeah, and Corbett was injured better. last year, which didn't help. Chandler Zavala, like some offensive line people really liked what he did. The grade is awful, but maybe the impressive plays are a, sick, are a sign that he can be better. I'll admit the grade could be off sometimes, but it was a 26. Yeah, I don't think it be, can be off to the tune of 50 grading points, which is what it would need to be. Can't completely forget the defense, though. They have a lot of depth to add there. All right, Panthers are fixed. Let's go on to the Saints. Um, Saints coming off a year, a little disappointing. Thought they were going to win the NFC South with their schedule. Um, they just uh, they just restructured Derek Carr to mm. free up all that cap space. He's got a cap hit close to fifty now next year, but it doesn't matter. We got thirty million dollars more in cap space right now. That yeah. So the Saints, even with the readjustment, are still forty million over the cap. So the Carr thing is good, but they still got work to do. That'll change soon. Yeah, they'll get back. Um, I did hear. Mickey Loomis in an interview, I think on the Sirius NFL channel, kind of hint at, you always use the credit card analogy, right? yeah. the credit cards do. 
it, 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 I think he hinted at like, a, okay, let's reset this thing. Now we'll finally reset it. I don't know what that looks like in practice because the Saints do always have a year where they they get rid of a whole bunch of players. They can't sign everybody. Right. They push money, but they still find a way to bring in other free agents too. So they're doing all those things all at the same time. So I wonder if this is a year where it's like a legitimate reset. We don't want to push the credit card more than we have to, and it's it's more of a youth movement for the Saints rather than going back to the free agency well. Maybe. I feel like they just this is the way they operate. I can't really see them changing it dramatically. Um, or you just keep pushing it, and it's like, well, at some point I'm going to get fired and someone else will pay it. Yeah. That's how I would view it. Yeah. I think they just this is how they operate with the cap. You know, let's just, yeah. let's just move it on. All right, what are we doing to build around Derek Carr and win the NFC South here? Uh, they're, they are the most extreme version of a team who has a ton of draft picks, but they're all on the wrong day. Yeah. They have, what, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven picks on day three, the day that nobody wants draft picks. They've picked 14 and then picked 45 from the Sean Payton deal. And then they don't pick another uh, again until 149. So there's about 100 picks in between their second rounder and then their next pick mm-hmm. at 149. Yeah. They never come into the offseason with a lot of assets to make things better. No, they don't. So what are we doing? Make the red, just play better in the well, red zone. Yeah, I mean, so Derek Carr sort of played the second half of the season, I think, the way that was good enough to, to be where they wanted to be. It's just the first half of the season, he was awful. Like if, if you got that version of Derek Carr all year, <laughs> they would have been fine. The receiving group was fine. The everything else was okay it's just Derek Carr didn't play the way they expected him to for at least half the year at which point they were already in trouble yeah teams that don't play up to their potential are just generally annoying because every single week when we talked about the Saints it's like all right they got the dudes to throw to the old line wasn't great they've definitely regressed over the last couple years but guys to throw to Carr is a he's a good solid starting NFL quarterback and in the past when he's had people to throw to he's produced right so it should have been a good match there um but i think it's it's similar like michael thomas hits free agency i don't know how much your any team is depending on michael thomas at this point going forward in his career right but you got chris Olave, rashid shaheed Jawan johnson took a bit of a step back but still like a pretty athletic tight end who can work the middle of the field so add another dude out there shore up the offensive line and you should be able to create offense um one of the big questions ryan ramchak maybe dealing with retirement and that's I mean that, that he's just been so consistent since 2017 uh, when he's been out there and healthy that might be a starting spot that they need to attack immediately I mean if Ryan Ramchek retires the entire offensive line needs to be overhauled there's like no starter left that you're comfortable with yeah um is Andrews Pete a free agent I see him on the free agent list but not on my depth chart here Trevor Penning at left tackle hasn't necessarily developed Uh, Trevor Penning hasn't been good. Uh, Eric McCoy is the one consistent piece up front. But Trevor Penning surplanted James Hurst, who was actually playing solid at left tackle. James Hurst was bad at guard, so you made two spots worse by moving Trevor Penning, your first-round pick, into the starting left tackle spot. Unless he takes a huge step forward, there's one spot on your offensive line that's solid if Ramchek walks away. Yeah. So I I think that might need to be where they it's to me it's both defensive both the lines again uh, remember last year at this time or before the season we said they they've moved on from the Trey Hendrickson's and uh, Marcus Davenport's over the last few years 
but they've drafted a bunch of guys. Peyton Turner in the first round. They've they've drafted high. Mm-hmm. Uh, Brian Brissy last year. Isaiah Foskey needed those guys to step up. Don't know that we got it last year. It's really still Cameron Jordan hanging on in what year thirteen. Carl Granderson's been good, but I think they need help on the D line and the offensive line. Yeah, it's all in the trenches with pick fourteen and forty five right up front. Yeah, I think you look at their receiving group and you would say they're fine. Chris Olave is good. Um, Rashid Shahid is a great deep threat. A.T. Perry can probably take a step forward and at least come close to replicating the version of Michael Thomas that currently exists. Obviously not peak Michael Thomas. Juwan Johnson's a good tight end. Taysom Hill's a great gimmick. Um, the backfield still has Alvin Kamara. Derek Carr has been solid. The line is terrible and worse if Ryan Ramchek retires. And then, yes, defense... You either need a huge step forward from a guy like Brian Bercy, uh, or you need an addition of, like, an injection of talent there, or both. How do you do this with so few picks? Oh, man. It's a bind. I mean, so what do you, so if they're the most extreme version of that dynamic we talked about, right, seven draft picks on the wrong day, what do you do with them? I, I've said with the teams that have, I wonder if you can flip those. So if you have the cap space, I want to flip a five or a six for a starter, right? Yeah. For a team that's trying to cut They have, they cut have four fifth-round picks. Yeah. I mean, it, it, in, in a perfect world, the teams that have those picks this year, um, and we're also we're banking off of what Nagy's saying. At a glance, let me see how – is that true? Yeah. I mean, there's not a lot of – I'm not seeing a lot of green or blue on day three. So I think at a glance, Nagy's probably right Yeah, as far as what day three looks like. If I have one of those picks this year, I want to try to flip them for a starter, for a team that's actually trying to cut cut salary. But I don't think the Saints are in position to just you know take on 8 to $10 million for a fifth-round pick. So I don't think that's going to work. So just draft them and hope that they're okay. You just use all year. I mean, I'm still I'm trading it to next year. If I can, yeah, try to trade into next year and move up around. But again, that that means someone else is going to have to want to trade up and take one of those picks for this year. They're going to have to like enough players, so you got to find trade partners. But I think the best way to use those this year is for veterans, especially um, if the cap is up and you're just you know sucking up a contract for a year. Yeah, I'm just looking through lists of um, potential cap casualty people because that's never gotten us into trouble before. But not because of guys that could get released, because any potential cap casualty is also a potential, hey, would you, you take should a trade for round? David and Joku? Right. Hey, would you take a six round pick for this guy that you might be cutting anyway? Yes. Um, Cam Robinson is a player that surfaced on a, a cap casualty list because that the Jags obviously drafted Anton Harrison. They have Walker Little, who's played better at tackle than he guard. Would actually be an upgrade at tackle for the Saints. Absolutely. So, like, maybe the Saints could flip a six round pick for Cam Robinson, take on his bloated contract in addition to the guys you already have, but that would absolutely upgrade the offensive line. Now we're stitching it together on the O-line. Maybe yeah. Penning has to move to right tackle if Ramchak retires. And the problem is Try a lot Penning of these cap casualty lists are all the same players, and they're all players that don't help. Yeah. A lot of running backs. It's also from January. Might, might be old, right? No, I'm looking at a current one. Oh, okay. That's good. Don't look at the one that had Njoku on it. I mean, we cool. mentioned David Bakhtiari before with Green Bay. You know, he's also a similar option for – uh, for New Orleans, albeit yeah. probably one that doesn't make as much sense. 
I'll say this at 14, though, all those edge rushers that we talked about, I think most mock drafts have the Saints going D-line, right? Jared Verse, Latu, the guys that we tend to like there. Dallas Turner, who we don't love as much there, but all those guys seem to be in play there. In so, the first yeah, round. I mean, trenches, defensive line, offensive line, both I think would be in play at that pick. I like it. So that's what we're doing. We're invested in Derek Carr. Um, is there any other thing that you would – you said the receivers are fine. I mean, we, we always joked about how good Rashid Shahid is. He yeah. was an awesome deep threat. Alave is a good high-volume guy. What's the, what's the other type of receiver piece that you might want to have there? It's or you the, trust in A.T. Perry? Yeah, I mean, it's the possession guy. Like, A.T. Perry, I think you can – if you ran into the season and you, you expected A.T. Perry to be that guy, I don't think it would be terrible. But if you doubled your chances of that by bringing in another body, I – that's not bad either. I think Roman Wilson would be a good fit there for them. Another route runner to get open. With Carr, I always want one dude that's going to stretch the field. I think they have that with Shahid. Um, I think they have what they need, man. Just got to play, play better in the red zone. Get the best out of Derek Carr. Yeah. That's all you got to do. All right, anything else for the Saints? Uh, no, I mean. They're a tough one in the offseason because you can't. Well, because they're always like, in such a hole that they don't have, yeah. you know. And honestly, I don't even know the exact intricacies of how, they're, how they are going to maneuver things yet. Right. You need to see where they end up before you can see how much resources yeah. they actually have to spend. So there we go. Saints, mostly fixed. Does that help? Fixed dish. Let's wrap it up. Tampa Bay Bucks, the NFC South. Very good season last year. Finished in the final eight, losing the divisional round. Baker Mayfield, breakout season for him. So coming into the offseason here, of course, the big question mark is going to be, are they re-signing Baker Mayfield as he hits free agency? And what happens with Mike Evans? Uh, they were unable to get to a deal before the season, the self-imposed deadline by Evans. Will Evans, who wants to be a buck for life, actually hit free agency? How bad is my squeaky chair? This is very annoying. It's pretty bad, but I don't know whether it's getting picked up on the mic or it's not. very annoying. I hate um, moving. So, yeah, let's start with the Baker Mayfield thing. They're definitely bringing him back, right? I think so. Does Baker want to be back? Why wouldn't he? Dave Canales isn't there. Like, yeah, is Canales... But, but he's in Carolina. You're not, like, you're not going where he's going. Yeah, but if... It, Baker's a free agent, right? Yeah. And, and there's actually uh, teams that... If I, can I squeak it enough that it just stops? Gets to the right spot where it stops squeaking? No, I think you've just ruined the three-bill certified chairs. Three-bill certified doesn't mean that it doesn't handle wear and tear. I'm... I'm bringing a lot of wear and tear. Apparently. To the chair. Yeah. I mean, how many more of these do we have? There's mine's not squeaking at all. We should switch. No, we shouldn't, because I, I prefer a non-squeaking functional chair. So if you're Baker Mayfield, you theoretically could go to the Raiders, the Broncos with uh, Sean Payton. Yeah. You could go to Atlanta. You could go to these other places. Sure. Right? Do any of them want them? I think they might. Like the Raiders might. I, I don't know. Some I mean, of the, the Raiders might, out of sheer desperation and lack of alternative. I'm just saying, some of the teams. Why is this out here? Some of the teams that are desperate for a quarterback are, might look at Baker Mayfield and be like, "Oh, we could do that with him again." Yeah. And Baker Mayfield might look at it and say, "Not like I'm only good because of Dave Canales, but oh, I love that relationship with Dave. What's keeping me in Tampa Bay?" If they, if Canales had gone somewhere where they didn't have any. Uh, like quarterback plan what's like if Canales had been the Raiders head coach 
then I would say, okay, there's a pretty solid chance that Baker goes where Canales goes and they try and re- I understand. Try and get it all, somewhere else. All I'm saying is what's keeping Baker Mayfield in Tampa Bay besides the uniform? The, offensive, I, the offensive coordinator's gone, yeah. and Mike Evans might be gone. Might so be, what's but, keeping him in town? But also might not be. I mean, I think the fact that he had success there and that thing, the whole thing worked is reason to re-up and do it again. Um, if, and if Baker Mayfield re-signs, it becomes easier to keep Mike Evans there, right? Like the faster he says, I'm in, the easier it is to keep Mike Evans in the building because they have the flexibility then to deploy the franchise tag or whatever. So I think it's one of those situations where it makes sense for both sides. And the only question becomes what the dollar figure ends up being. Um, you know, they, the Bucks obviously want to re-sign Baker for as cheap as humanly possible. Baker still hasn't gotten the big second contract that he probably should have at this point in his career. Uh, and this might be his only shot at getting paid in the NFL. So he wants to maximize the dollar figure as well. Presumably, there's going to be some version of a Geno Smith-type contract signed there where it's an acknowledgement that, hey, yes, you fixed things. You rescued us. On the other hand, you're still not great. You know, you're good. You're not great. Um, so there's a deal that gets worked out. Baker stays in Tampa. He's the QB. Okay, so Baker's going to stay. We have to keep Mike Evans, right? Yeah, I think so. Again, it, it feels like that should be doable. He wants to stay in Tampa Bay. He's still your best receiver. Like, yeah, it's going to cost you some money, but get on with it. What else are you going to do with it? <laughs> Just get on with it. All right. So we're going to take care of those two things? We're good? Yeah, I think so. I mean, the Bucks have quite a lot of cap space now. You know, the, the cap moved in their direction. They've their got players $45 again. million dollars worth of space. Sign Baker Mayfield for a deal that won't break the bank. Bring Mike Evans back. Give him what he wants. And you're still fine. All right. Beyond that, we got Levante David and Antoine Winfield Jr. Um, Winfield Jr. Did he make? Was he first team All Pro? Uh, yeah, I think so. He was. Uh, he did the Mitchell Schwartz No Pro Bowl, but yeah. first team All Pro, right? right? So the, the the voters got it right. The fans, or however the Pro Bowl is done now, didn't get it right. Winfield was unbelievable last year. Um, is he the? Is he your tag candidate? Or we? I mean, if I, can I, free I, would, it up. I would try to bring him back and yeah, lock if, him up. If I can free it up by signing baker and mike evans before we hit the deadline i would use the tag on winfield yeah buy some time to to lock him up long term levante david at this point in his career it looks like him and devin white could potentially be gone yeah david's tough because he's still by far their best linebacker like what do you do you keep bringing him back i mean the market for david can't be strong right Given his age, nobody's out there no. paying big money for Levante. It's David. probably another one year, six, so, seven yeah. million, so come back. David's probably a case of a guy where you can let him test the free agent market and say, hey, give me a call when you get your best offer and we'll match it type of thing. Yeah. So let's try to bring David back. Uh, they did start to phase Devin White out late last year. K.J. Britt played pretty well. They uh, a Dennis they drafted last year, model guy. So, you know, he'll be good hmm. in the coming years here. So I think they're good, pretty good at linebacker. I think the the defensive line is just another place where they've they've invested a lot, and I don't know what their perception is, but PFF grades haven't been terribly kind to former their t- their former top picks. Joe Tryon Shainka was a first rounder. Logan Hall was their top pick that one year where they picked a, he was a second rounder. Right. Kalija Kansi last year, good pass rusher. It was kind of like Ed Oliver early career could make an impact as a pass rusher, but he was getting absolutely wrecked in the run game he is undersized that is one of the questions but they haven't the Kansi could still be good but he flashed a lot as a pass rush he did like there's a lot to like there but you know if you if he's playing on rundowns he is he's been a liability 
So I, I wonder how much they have to go back to the defensive line well, wondering about how, how those guys are going to develop. Yeah, I mean, I think they will expect significant steps forward from Kansi and also from Yaya Diaby, the edge rusher, a year ago, who also played pretty well. Um, so I think if those two guys take big steps forward, they've still got Shaq Barrett. Tryon Chanka has been a bit of a disappointment, but he's still a viable, you know, rotational player for them. And Vita Vea is, you know, Vita Vea. He's spectacular on occasions and generally pretty good. Um, Logan Hall may be the one that they try and upgrade or, or move in a different direction from. But I think generally they've got players there. They should be better this year, and maybe they add in a player or two to try and kind of just keep the turnover and move it in the right direction. But I think overall it's not in a bad place. Other roster decisions coming up. The, the, they have a bunch of high-priced players heading into the last year of their deals. Chris Godwin, uh, Carlton Davis, Shaq Barrett. So when we talk about future-proofing, all three I don't anticipate all three of those guys re-signing, getting younger receiver. Because even if Evans comes back, Trey Palmer they, they brought in last year, Devin Tompkins, but like you got to get younger at receiver. Yeah. Younger at edge, who we just talked about. I mean, even Tryon Shank is maybe at the end of his run here. So edge defender should be in play, potentially a starting outside corner to eventually replace Carlton Davis and then getting younger at receiver. Pretty premier positions there that the Bucks need to keep an eye on here. Mm -hmm. Late in the first round, they're going to draft it at pick 26. We've mentioned the corners a lot for teams picking in the 15 to 28, 29, 30 range. So corner could be in play there for the Bucks, And then depending on how that the defensive line group falls. It seems like the defensive line is a, a lot of people. Again, I don't know where Chop Robinson ends up, but right. a lot of people expect those top edges, the Dallas Turners, Jared versus Latu to go in the top 15 to 20. And then is there a drop-off between the next group of edge defenders? So it might not have it might not be the fit there for the Bucks, in other words, to go get the edge. But I think there'll be some receiver talent and there'll be some corner talent there that they should keep an eye on. Yeah, one of the certainly in the second or the third round, I would expect them to come away with a wide receiver to try and get younger, even if they're not necessarily expecting a day one impact from that guy. Anywhere else free agent wise um one spot on the defensive uh, offensive line up for grabs cody mock did not do great as a rookie at guard but i don't think they're necessarily overhauling that center ryan Jans jensen officially retiring retired robert hainsey um, is there nick leverett is uh, is there but they could use an upgrade at center they could be in the late first round center market as well if they really wanted to improve there yeah their interior trio really i think they could they could absolutely target uh either center or either guard spot and and certainly be not worse off for it and then free agency i think it's the right area to target some of those guys um you know they we've mentioned connor williams before i think he would make a lot of sense to be added to them like there's players i think they could snag in that and plug them in as starters they've got their pretty much base allotment seven draft picks i do think they're starting guards available in the second third round range Christian Haynes from UConn liked a lot at the Senior Bowl. Production-wise, Cooper Beebe from, from Kansas State, so they could go back, probably snag a starter there. But I, I do think the high-value positions they have to keep an eye on as far as the future of this roster. The other part that we haven't really talked about is we, we always try to talk about, like, how, how are you going to put yourself in position to win a championship? As, as, a, as good as the season was, or as much as they overachieved last year with Baker under center, 
those moves to just kind of like maintain status quo are those enough to are those moving you toward a championship even with more cap space and the ability to bring in more players is baker mayfield the guy to to get you over the hump going forward it's the same question seattle's asking themselves about geno smith like geno smith's good reasonable price but are are we going to be are we just like a, a playoff team is that all we are haven't really discussed that with the bucks i think they're fine with that right now but are they looking to a quarterback of the future are they going to try to get younger there and try to hit on you know first contract quarterback at some point i don't know if there's a spot in the draft that makes sense but do you take a developmental guy even after re-signing baker mayfield yeah theoretically i just don't know who that would be um i mean this is not I, I, the more I look into this uh, draft class when it comes to quarterbacks, the less enamored with it I am or the, the weaker I think it seems to be. Now, uh, there are a lot of people saying next year is even worse. So if you're in that area where you're like, oh, who's our QB of the future for Tampa Bay? I don't know if there's an obvious pathway to one anytime soon. Um, I, I, you, I don't think they can afford really to use pick one or pick two first couple of rounds on a quarterback. So the earliest you're talking about grabbing one would be the third or the fourth round. At which point, who are you talking about? Like, doesn't feel like a great roll of the dice. It's Spencer Rattler backing up Baker. Yeah, Spencer Rattler would be the one interesting one, I think. But does he? I mean, does he last till the third round? Is the, is the third round too rich for him, given the other needs that we're talking about? Like, it's not. I don't think it's an easy decision necessarily. All right, man. I think we've given some options to the box. I think we're going to bring back our own including Levante David, and I think get ready at edge, corner, and receiver to get younger and take the best players available there. At 26, I do think a nice cornerback could be available there. Add some depth in year one and get ready for Carlton Davis potentially not being around Mm -hmm. in a year. Did we do well enough? Yeah. Was that good? We're done with the Souths. Done with the Souths. One more to do. Unless this is on Wednesday, then we're done completely. Who knows? Who knows when we're going to air it? Anyway, we appreciate everybody being a part of this. We love fixing every team in five minutes, even if it takes two and a half hours. Um, We also love 30MDS, the mock draft simulator. Get 30% off anything at PFF using the promo code 30MDS, 30MDS, 30% off anything at pff.com right now, your PFF Plus subscription. Losing energy fast here, Sam. Mm. But anyway, we appreciate everybody for tuning in. We'll see you again the next time on the PFF NFL Podcast.